God. Glory to God. Celebrate Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Good morning everybody. Why is this stand on this side? Are these people not holy? I like central stuff, right? Amen. Are you blessed by Pastor Matthew and Dr. Gabriel? Can we celebrate them? What a blessing they are. Oh, what a blessing I tell you. Let's just pray in tongues for a few seconds, everybody. Lay bros, a brother, gangle, the boro, cotene, kelia. I'd like you to hold somebody. Let's pray for one another. That you stand perfect and complete in all of the world. That you stand perfect and complete in God's will. That you stand perfect and complete. Let's declare that together. That your neighbor will stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God. You worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. You are fruitful unto every good word. Kept by the power of God. Preserved. You walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. I call you fruitful. I call you fruitful unto every good worker. You are kept, you are preserved, you are sustained. You are unmovable. You are always abounding in the work of the Lord. You preach the gospel in and out of season. You are strengthened with might by the spirit in the inner man. Christ dwells in your heart by faith. You are rooted and grounded in the love of God. Praise your Father. I'd like you to lay hands on yourself and speak over yourself. I will do ministry. I will serve the purpose of God. I will serve the purpose of God. I will do ministry effectively. I will win souls. I will raise disciples. I will shine the light in the nations of the earth. Wherever I am found, I will be the salt. Wherever I am found, I will be the light. I stir up the deposits of God my inside le karoto sikale de baya agando jikala de babe le brosa kele de mamba agabadoro katina kele tapato neketina manakatuna kalita bayana katoneke le katana anye jakolo de babre rakatombe galita baba agalita makarato neke agabajuka landa meketina katolida baba barakete nekalita banda katono anye lagaso barakatina kala agabara katone kalia agabajokolo na mamba 
have been set over nations. I have been set over kingdoms. I root out whatever is not planted by God. I pull down. I overthrow. I destroy. And I declare like a sobarakatina ka. I plant the word of God in the hearts of men. I plant the incorruptible seed in the minds of men. Like a tumbarakatone agabajo kolodoborakatina kala tananka lita baya nakatanaga. Praise you, Lamb of God. Glory to the Lamb. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Light all over Ghana. Light all over Ghana. In every city, in every village, on every street, the glorious light shines. In the name of Jesus. Men who sit in darkness, secret light. In the name of Jesus, the kingdom of darkness loses grounds. We depopulate hell. In the name of Jesus, we drag men from darkness to light. We break the holes of darkness. We decree that all over Ghana, lighthouses springing up. Springing up everywhere. Lighthouses springing up everywhere. All over this nation. An army of men. An army of women that will not give room to the devil. An army of men and women that conquer territories, that take over communities, that take over cities, that take over villages. That army is rising all over the face of Ghana. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Say with me, I am privileged by God to be in the center of God's plan. I am privileged by God to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Therefore, I am committed unreservedly to the mandate of the kingdom. And I preach the gospel. I preach this gospel. I preach this gospel all over the world in Jesus' name. I didn't hear a good amen. Give Jesus a celebration. Glory to God. Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Go ahead! Amen. Say with me, I will run through a troop. I will leap over a wall. Nothing stops me. Don't your neighbor say, You are unstoppable. I didn't hear a good amen. Give the Lord another shout and you can be seated. Glory to God. Whoa! It's been an amazing time being with you through these few days very amazing and um, the, the future is glorious great days are ahead amen i said great days are ahead want to appreciate all of you pastor matilda and the whole team in ghana for all the things you guys have sacrificially ensured you did to make this conference happen and um, i'm fully persuaded that we'll be back in a few months yes we'll be back in a few months yeah we'll be back in a few months and when we come back in a few months, you will have tripled, not just doubled. You will have tripled all over the place. Somebody say, I hear you. Because it's important we take the bull by the horn. It's important we push this frontier and get this mandate, you know, to begin to find full expression all over this nation. Can I have a powerful amen? amen. Yesterday we began to talk about our gatherings, all right? We began to talk about our gatherings and the importance of our gatherings. And we established that the local church is God's wisdom of establishing his will on the earth. 
the local church is God's wisdom of establishing his will on the earth. The local church or what we call the gathering. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24. Hebrews chapter 11 verse number 24. Thank you Lord Jesus. He says, is it Hebrews chapter 11 verse 24? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, 10, 24. <clears throat> How did I get to 11? Hebrews 10, 24. <clears throat> Hallelujah. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Next verse. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The assembling is already together. But for double emphasis, the assembling of ourselves together. That's how emphatic our gathering is. We must gather together. Because that's where we build strength. That's where we engage. That's where we grow together. And that's where we as a team confront the kingdom of darkness. Alright? So, let us not forsake. That's not an advice. That's an instruction. Alright? Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. So, it's not just today that people stay away from church and just say, I'm a child of God, I can follow from afar. No, it has always been as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another, and so much the more, gather much more as you see the day approaching. We should gather more, we should have more meetings, more fellowships, more gatherings together as we see the day of Jesus approaching. Now, so we began to talk about the fact that a local church is a gathering where two or three are under a well-defined leadership. Under a well-defined leadership. That's what makes it a church. And we took time to lay some foundation yesterday. Numbers chapter 11 verse 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and sent them round about the tabernacle. So Moses multiplies his responsibilities amongst the 70 elders. He multiplies his responsibilities. What one person can do, if 10 people do it, they will do it more efficiently, more effectively. And it will have more results. Much more multiplying effect than one person. The local church was typified in Moses' instructions and, and counsel by Jethro. So Moses literally broke down the people into congregations, into cells, into groups, you know, into local assemblies, into house churches. This means that the local church provides room for the pastor to give opportunity to people. You know, Pastor Matthew has been emphasizing on team. Dr. Gabriel has been emphasizing on the importance of teamwork. You know, he gave the opportunity to devoted, tested, and proven men to serve. And these opportunities include teaching and preaching the gospel. Because in our ministry, we are a discipleship-oriented ministry. Because that's apostolic and that's New Testament. So we, we ensure that everyone who grows under us in Power City is involved in evangelism and raising disciples. So in your campus, you must make sure that every member of the campus at one point or the other always is raising a disciple or is evangelizing somebody he will soon disciple. It must be an ongoing work. We must always be engaged in raising disciples. You evangelize, 
put the people together, you start raising them up. We have a manual for discipleship. Are you aware of that? Are you using that manual? We have a manual for discipleship. I sat down and put that manual together intentionally. And I put the first 13 courses that you need in introducing a new convert into the journey of discipleship. All right, we looked at the word, we looked at righteousness, the reality of the word, the reality of righteousness, the reality, all the realities. All right, and because those are the things a new Christian needs to understand that what I am into is a reality, is the reality that my life must embrace. So we, we lay that as the foundation. Then when that you're through with the first manual, you move into the next one, which is the father and the family. Okay, you, you, you get into that. So he knows he's now in a family and what is expected of him and what he should expect in the family of God. Then from there, you continue discipleship. You begin to get, engage him in taking him out with you for evangelism. You teach him also to raise his own disciples. So everybody is involved in discipleship. It's not a one-man show. No, it's not at all. That's why I'm coming to Ghana. I come with Dr. Gabriel, Pastor Philemon, Pastor Matthew. We come as a team. We live here. We're heading to Cameroon. We move in group because I alone can't do the whole work. I can't. There's no way I can do the whole work. As I'm standing here, if you know the number of people that are working behind the scenes, even people back home in Uyo, they're all working. All over the world, our campus coordinators are busy all the time. Most times, my emails are coming in from different nations, people looking for counseling, people looking for prayer, people looking for discipleship, people looking for mentoring. We have different people that are engaged in those operations. So as the mails are coming, we're forwarding, and everybody is busy. People receiving phone calls from radio broadcasts, from TV broadcasts, because we have a lot of TV broadcasts and radio broadcasts all over the nations. There's a place in Nigeria called Onicha in Anambra State. We are on about six, seven radio stations paid by one brother that brother is the one paying for all of them and they've been running for over one and a half years now and he's increasing the radio stations and he said to me if that's all i can do to the gospel to make it available for people to hear via radio i am honored to use my money to do that for the gospel after all what's the use of money if it doesn't serve the purpose of god and we have different radio stations all over the place you know, in Aquaibom, I'm on radio station up until recently. I'm on radio station every day, 11 and a half hours. 11 and a half hours every day. I'm on radio. 11 and a half hours. I'm on radio. Every day. Every day. Not one hour. 11 and a half. So every station you turn to, you'll find me there. Through the day. And people are calling. Discipleship is happening. Counseling is going on. Because one man alone cannot operate this whole system. So we need everybody. Are we together here? We need everybody. Because that's the way the kingdom operates. Every joint up to supply. Every joint up to supply. That's why every one of us has the same Holy Spirit. Every one of us is exposed to the same word. Every one of us has the same gifts of the Spirit. And every one of us has the same fruit of the Spirit. The only thing is that we teach you so you know what you carry. Listen carefully. From the day you got born again, God does not add anything to you anymore. From the day you get born again, everything you need till eternity came on your inside. God doesn't do anything again. So from that day, what happens now is we begin to teach you so you will know what came in the day you got born again. 
we keep teaching and the more we teach the more you understand the more those things in you come away come alive they come alive because he says that the communication of your faith will become effectual how by the acknowledging of every good thing that is where in so you see every good thing is already in you because you are in christ so teaching brings out to bear the things that are already on your inside can somebody shout i hear you say with me i am fully equipped by god to fulfill his purpose and his will for my life within the confines of his plan for mankind yes everything you will ever need you are fully equipped there is no believer that lacks equipping except he is not taught every child of god is fully equipped at the point of salvation salvation is the totality of the package of god himself in a man with all the resources with all the abilities with all the graces with all the gifts with all the callings with all the you know capacity that you need everything came at the point of salvation so that's why every child of god ought to supply you supply what you have been given and when all of us supply there is a an effective a maximum functioning of the body a maximum functioning of the body of christ please pay attention so the pastor is the one to see to you that all of this takes place within the campus within the house church exodus chapter 24 you can write this down and read at home exodus 24 from verse 1 to 9 i'm going to read verse 1 and i'm going to read verse 9 and he said unto moses come up unto the lord thou and aaron Nahab, nadab and abihu and 70 of the elders of israel and worship ye afar off verse 9 then went up moses and aaron nadab and abihu and 70 of the elders of israel the church therefore brings a people of common identity together the church brings a people of common identity together under a common leadership to carry out and establish the will of god on earth the church brings a people of common identity together under a common leadership to carry out god's will and purpose on the earth we are a people of a common identity what is our common identity you are the righteousness of god what is our common identity you are accepted in the beloved what is our common identity you are the forgiving what is our common identity justified what is our common identity chosen generation what is our common identity royal priesthood what is our common identity you know a, a, a peculiar people that's our common identity you that we are not a people are now a people of god that's our common identity now we have a common common leadership and that leadership is the leadership of jesus christ which finds expression in a gift of the spirit given to the body of christ so i am a gift to you from the resurrection of jesus and i serve you grace now i am the example of what you are supposed to be doing so as you are watching me your ability is coming alive before you know it you'll be doing exactly what i am doing how many of you understand what i'm saying a time will come you will have your conference in takoradi and you have campus coordinators double this number and you'll be you you'll be you'll be the one in steering them up you will have in kumasi you will have in accra you will have in the different parts of ghana and then when we have a national cell leaders conference in stadium we fill up the stadium not with members with cell leaders pastors and then we have 
conference teach the word teach the word we go back and take more territories somebody shout we conquer territories say it again we conquer territories and my prayer for you today is that you will not miss out on the bigger thing that god is doing while it is yet to happen that you don't miss out on the bigger thing that god is doing before it happens because there are some people who don't have the ability to see what, what god is doing in the bigger picture so while god is still preparing you for the journey you get distracted and when you are distracted you are extracted when you are distracted you get extracted then suddenly you find out that you are just out of it and then you now see the bigger picture of what god is doing but you have missed your place so my prayer is that you don't miss your place in what God is set to do. Can I have a powerful amen? Now, so the local church allows us that opportunity. Now, the next thing I want to deal with here is where do we gather? Where do we gather? Acts chapter 19 verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed through the upper coast came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples verse 2 he said unto them have you received the holy ghost since you believed and they said unto him we have not so much heard whether there be any holy ghost verse 3 and he said unto them unto what then were you baptized and they said unto john's baptism then said paul i mean then said paul john verily baptized with the baptism of repentance saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him that is on christ jesus verse 5 when they heard this they were baptized in the name of the lord jesus and when paul had laid his hands upon them the holy ghost came upon them and they speak with tongues and prophesied verse 7 and all the men were about 12 verse 8 and he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of god verse 9 but when divers were hardened and believe not but speak evil of that way before the multitude he departed from them and separated the disciples disputing daily in the school of one tyrannus the order of events in this text of scripture is very instructive the first endeavor of paul was to reach the 12 then he began to teach them in the synagogues and due to an unexpected turn of events the school of tyrannos became their public meeting place in other words reaching the lost and having a pool of people to disciple for the lord comes before getting a venue you don't get a venue first before the people you get the people first before a venue so your first problem is not where are we going to meet your first problem is where are the people paul didn't get a venue in the school of tyrannos until he had the 12. He reached the 12. That's the order of events. You first must have the people. When you have the people to get the place, it's not going to be an issue. Am I teaching here? The first thing is the people. So when we say, brother, start a campus in Kaswa. Is there a place called Kaswa? Start a campus in Kaswa. Don't tell us, I don't have a venue. What we're saying is go to Kaswa and evangelize. We're not saying get a venue. Do you understand English? There's a difference between venue and people so the first thing is go get the people so now when we say kaswa so you move to kaswa in the morning and you spend the whole day evangelizing you minister to people minister to people minister to people get their details get their information you minister to people minister those who look very convinced and excited you give them an appointment for tomorrow at a location any location you can say, let's meet by UBA Bank. By, not in, by 
UBA Bank at 9 o'clock. So all of them will come by UBA Bank. You look around by UBA Bank, you see a place where there's a bit of a shed, you say, can we all come here? You let them know that we want to do Bible study. We are starting from here because this is the venue we have for today. You've started. You've started. Then they are the ones that will say, no, this place is not conducive now. Can we use my house? Or can we use my shop? I have a shop. Or can we use my garage? This place is not... They are the ones that will say it's not conducive. So now they give you venue. You already have venue. And you have people. Campus has started. Eh? That's how we start. You don't start with looking for campus and money. You start with people. Paul met certain disciples of John. He preached to them. They received the Holy Ghost. Then they now got a venue in the school of one Tyrannus. If it's getting clear, can I have a good amen? amen. So it's the people first, not the venue. You don't have a venue problem. It's the people first because the people own the venues. So when you have the people, you will have the venue with the people. Teaching good. And you might even have a place where you can start with. You may have a place in your home. You may have a place in your shop. You may have a place by your house. So when you preach and they get saved and they believe the gospel and they are fully convinced, you give them the venue where you want to have a Bible study with. But usually it is better to go to the people than to invite the people. You didn't hear that. It is better to go to the people than to invite the people. So they should give you a venue that is conducive in their environment. You travel there and teach. And travel back. When God wanted to save us, God traveled to us. And became part of us. He didn't stay and say, come to me for Bible study. No, he came to us. So, the same way he came, since it is his mandate, we follow his pattern. We go to the people. Are you following? If you get somebody born again, let's say a father or a mother, and you come to their home for Bible study... There is tendency that they will bring their neighbors. There is tendency that they will bring their friends. There is tendency that they will bring people around that they know. So you, you, you already have a potential capacity to explode than asking them to come to you. They may not have the transport to come. But you know the seriousness of what you're doing. So even if you have no transport, you will trek to get there. When I started ministry, the miles I trekked in my lifetime, you have no idea. When I started ministry, I have trekked for three days to go and preach. Just to Gombe. On my foot. Three days of trekking to go and preach. Some of you don't understand the price some of us paid. That's why when you see us preach today, you are feeling for us. We are not feeling for us. It is part of our life. We grew like this. I'm talking about trekking with your feet for three days to get to a place to preach. I remember on a particular incident. Look, when they used to invite me to preach, for one year I was sharing with campus coordinators. I didn't know that preachers used to be giving offering. For one full year of preaching. So when I preached for people and they gave me money, I gave it back to them because it was strange. Because that's not what I came for. What I came for is to preach. And you're giving me money. So I give the money back. And then there was a guy that used to travel with me. A senior minister. So when they give me the offering, I give it to him. because. And then he would tell me, good boy, good boy, good boy. He kept collecting it, good boy, good boy. For one full year. 
It was after one year that somebody said to me, those monies they give you when you preach is for you to help you with transport, to help you with other things. It's not, it's not for you to be giving back. That's when I now knew, okay, so when they give me, I'm supposed to keep it, not to give it to a senior minister or give it back to the church. That shows you that what brought some of us to ministry is not money. What brought us is the people. And that's the attitude you must have. I trek. I trekked and trekked for years. I trekked and trekked until I didn't have shoes. All my shoes wore out. There was one particular time, because of too much trekking, the nails they used in nailing the sole of my shoe was wounding my legs. So every time I come back, my feet will be bleeding. Every time. In fact, there was one time my legs were so badly wounded because of too much trekking, and I was to preach in a place called Port Harcourt from Aquaibo. When we got to the house, you are laughing because you know the story. When we got to the house of the family that invited me, so they can take me to the church where I was going to preach. Because of how bad my shoes were, I removed the shoes from outside and entered their house barefooted. The wife said to me, didn't you come with shoe? I said, no, I didn't come with shoe. How will you travel without shoe? I told her, I don't have shoe. So are you going to preach like this today? I say, yes, why not? Is there any law that forbids a man? After all, take off your shoe for where you stand. When you are standing on holy ground, you don't wear a shoe. <laughs> she took me, put me in her car, and I didn't show her the shoe. Put me in her car and took me to a place, bought me canvas. And canvas back then, canvas can make you bounce. And me, I was already a bouncing guy. So imagine a bouncer like me wearing canvas. I was just flying all over the church. <laughs> Those are the kind of sacrifices we have made over the years. So to come to your house to teach you the Bible is nothing to me. It's part of it. God came to us. We go to the people. We go to the lost. A good shepherd will leave the 99 and go searching for the one. You go to where they are. You go to their homes. Let their homes become the center for Bible study. Then after a while, that home becomes a house church. After a while, the person that you disciple in that home becomes the pastor of that house church under your supervision. How many of you understand what I'm explaining? That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Any other way outside of that is not apostolic. It's not biblical. That's how the Bible, you know, pattern is. That's how Jesus' module is. That's how the apostles' model is. Now, pay attention to this also. <clears throat> so, Acts 19.10 And this continued, this pattern of ministry continued. It continued by the space of two years. Space of how many years? Two years. So that all they which dwelt in Asia had the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Two years, they covered the continent. All of Asia was covered by Paul. Two years of intensive ministry. He covered all of Asia in two years. It shows you the commitment, the dedication, the sacrifice. He was not resting at all. 
if all of us in this building will leave this conference with a determination to turn Ghana right side up, it will be accomplished. If all of us here will leave this place with a commitment to go and evangelize and just be raising disciples and training in another two years, the story will be totally different. It takes men who have seen Christ, who are lost in Christ, to throw themselves over to the mandate. It takes men You've got to come to a place of persuasion, a place of conviction where you're sold out to the assignment. Where nothing else matters other than the assignment. And until you get to that point, you will not do ministry the way you're supposed to do it. You must be sold out. You must be totally sold out. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that will last for eternity is what you do for the kingdom of God. I didn't hear a powerful amen. So, the Apostle Paul ensured that the activity of disciplining the saved and reaching the lost are parallel. So, watch this. As he was raising disciples, he was still evangelizing. He didn't stop evangelism to do discipleship. As he's raising disciples, he's still preaching to those that are not saved. As they are getting saved, he is bringing them in. As they are getting saved, he is bringing them in. Those he has discipled, as he brings in the lost, he makes them disciple others. Remember, the things you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to faithful men who will commit to faithful men who will commit to faithful men who will commit to faithful men. So, don't say he's a new disciple. He cannot know. Once he is saved and you have taught him and taught him, let him begin. If he makes mistakes, he will be corrected. That's how we grow. Don't wait to be perfect before you begin. You will never begin. Begin from where you are. Begin from where you are. The moment somebody gets saved and he's sure he is saved and he begins to understand what you're teaching, he too should start raising a disciple. Straight. There's no waste of time. He too should start raising a disciple. So as you're raising disciples, you're evangelizing. It's the two of them working hard. As you're raising disciples, you're evangelizing. As you're raising disciples, you're evangelizing. You know the book of Acts says, and the Lord added to the church daily. Why did the Lord add to the church daily? Because they were evangelizing daily. They were going out daily to win souls. So the Lord was adding daily. Now, it's not the Lord that was adding. Okay, It's just a syntax situation. As they were evangelizing daily, souls were added daily. It was their evangelism that brought the addition. Because if you stay with the Lord added, you say, well, whether we preach or not, the Lord will add. No, the Lord does not add until you go out. How can they hear without a preacher? How can the preacher preach except he be sent? So preachers must preach in order for people to hear, in order for people to be saved. We must preach the gospel. Brother Paul says, necessity is laid on me, and woe is me if I preach not the gospel. So preaching the gospel must be as necessary as eating food. Any day you eat and you don't preach, know that you have committed a sin. Any day you eat food for your body and you don't preach the gospel to somebody, know that that day you have committed sin. Because if your physical body deserves food, the kingdom deserves a soul. If your physical body deserves food at any day at all, then know that the kingdom of God also deserves a soul that day through your effort. It's as important as that. Just as food is a necessity to the body, evangelism is a necessity to the kingdom. When you understand that, no day will go by and you have people with you all the time. 
as you move in the buses as you go from office to office in your place of work there are people all over the place even on your way home from work you meet people on the road you meet people in the buses you meet people even by your neighborhood you, you have no excuse not to preach the gospel they are all over your face they are all over your face and every soul you see on the road you must know that this is a potential man of god this is a potential woman of god you must know that that's how committed brother paul was by the space of two years all of asia had the word of the lord jesus praise god i say praise god upon teaching the laws groups of people can start to meet in homes and public facilities it's not limited to rented buildings it can be homes it can be a rent you know a public facility like a school it can be an eatery if the eatery will allow you people have a bible study there for example right now we, we we are taking over different halls and different venues all over uyo where i live we're having different halls we're taking over different halls in different parts all over the city where discipleship is happening steadily steadily pastor prince went to the office of the government and he went with a team they got a lot of people saved and the boss of that particular parastata came and said, I will put all my people together, preach to all of us. And they ministered to them. Then they gave them a hall and said, use here for weekly Bible study. Amen. They gave it to them for free. Then they went for evangelism again in another hotel. After ministering to the people, the engineer of the hotel said, take this hall for free and use it for Bible study in the hotel. So people are donating facilities to us. Because their lives are being impacted by the teaching of the word. That's the way the kingdom works. That's the way the kingdom... So when you hear somebody giving excuses, excuse, Pastor Philip was just telling me, they've got two venues right now in his own city where they're starting two new campuses. That's the way it works. Pastor Victor was telling me, has just got a venue where he's paying about 1.5 million. He is going to pay for it. And they want to start a campus in his own community. People are just standing up and everybody is busy. Everybody is looking for what to do to advance the kingdom of God. That's the way the kingdom grows. That's the way the kingdom grows. God has no other way of growing his kingdom outside people. And the people must be people that are willing to sacrifice to advance his kingdom. If I'm communicating, can I have a good amen? The reason why I'm sharing all of this is to, to provoke you. The Bible says we should provoke one another to love. We provoke one another to good works. We provoke one another. Praise God. I say praise God. So, brother Paul, that was how he operated. Now, it is advisable, like I've always said, to start with venues you can afford. And as the work grows, people will come in that will make, you know, um, facilities available to us. In Acts chapter 20, verse 20, brother Paul says, How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. From where? house to house now remember that when brother paul began to teach in the school of tyrannous he also taught from house to house so we have public meetings and we have house meetings in power city public meetings hold every sunday house meetings hold within the week public meetings sundays house meetings within the week for example, at the headquarters in Uyo, on Wednesday, we don't come to the church. Wednesday, which is midweek service, is the day people meet in houses all over the city. 
on Wednesdays. They meet in clusters, 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 clusters everywhere. But on Sunday is the only day we assemble in the main building. Outside Sunday, we don't come except for prayer cruise, which was done this morning. But every other day is in clusters. Because cluster is where you have 10, 15, 5 people that you effectively supervise. And that together you can go out and win more souls and grow. But Sunday is the day we come together as a corporate house to fellowship, to pray, to be ministered to, to be strengthened. Then we hit the streets. Wednesday is the day we launch new house churches. Wednesday is the day we open new house churches. You see that? Now, the benefit of that was during lockdown, we were not locked down. Many churches were locked down for one year. Power City was not affected. Church was going on full blast. Full blast. And there are times on Wednesday when you see me teaching in Uyo, I'm the only one in the building. Nobody's in the building. You hear me shout, glory! I'm shouting it to you. <laughs> Lift up your hands and say with me, I am blessed. I am blessed. You're the only one that's nobody in the building. I'm only hearing it in my head. I'm teaching alone. And you would think the whole place is parked. I'm teaching. Because I know people in homes are following. Those who don't have television, they have radio. When I'm live in Uyo, I'm live on radio stations. I'm live on radio stations. So if you can't watch social media, if you can't watch TV, you will catch me on radio. So no excuse. No excuse. We get the word out there. People are getting saved at, you know, all over the place. In fact, we have more people who don't come to our church who are following the gospel than those who come to our church. And we come across them. I don't, I've not started attending your church, but I've not missed any of your teaching. Some will even show me their books. You see these notebooks? Your teachings. Your teachings have enriched me. We have them all over the place. Eventually, they will come. But for now, yeah, they're following. And that's how it's supposed to be. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's how it's supposed to be. And it's going to happen in Ghana. Your amen is looking for help. Say with me, it is already happening. Because I am here. We fill the earth. We cover the earth with the fragrance of Christ. I didn't hear a powerful amen. So brother Paul preached day and night. That's in one of those Bible studies that somebody fell down and died. Eutychus. And they brought him back to life and continued Bible study. You would think they would close the service because somebody has died. No, they revived him back and gave him a chair. Told him, as you are writing before you fell down, now make sure you don't sleep right well because I'm sure he must have slept and fell down. He must have slept and fell down. Next time he will not sleep and fall down. You know, when I was learning how to pray back in the days, I used to climb a tree and pray all night. A tree. You're not hearing. I used to climb on top of a tree and pray all night so that if I sleep, I fall down. And because I have seen where the ground is and I don't want to fall down, I stay awake by force. That's how I train myself to pray through the night. I stay awake. And I can't keep quiet because if I keep quiet, I will sleep. So, through the night. That's how I train myself to pray. <laughs> I'm serious. And I never fell once. That means I never slept once. <laughs> That's how, Dr. Gabriel knows the forest where I used to go and pray. He knows it's a forest. I learned prayer in the forest, not in the house. 
Some of you learn your own prayer under air conditioner. Me, in the forest, on top of a tree. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with learning it at home. I just wanted that discipline for myself. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 42. <clears throat> Acts 5, 42. And daily in the temple and in every house. So can you see temple, house? Can you see that? Temple, house. That's apostolic pattern. Temple, house. You can't just be meeting in a temple. It is temple, house. Temple, house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. I'm taking time to show you because this is apostolic. This is doctrine. So it is always temple and house. Which means the apostles received their model of meetings both publicly and in the synagogues. The temple and in the homes of individuals. This is vital detail because a, a, a student of the ministry of the Lord Jesus must understand how it operates. Now, let's look at temple quickly. Matthew 21, 23. Looking at Jesus. And when he was come into the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching. So Jesus was teaching in the temple. And said, by what authority does thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? So, temple. Mark 12, 35. Mark 12, 35. And Jesus answered and said, while he taught in the temple. While he taught where? In the temple. Luke 21, 37. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. Jesus was teaching where? In the temple. John 8, 2. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple as he sat down and taught them. Taught them. So, there is temple service. Then the second one is synagogues. The synagogues. Matthew 4.23 And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Matthew 4.23 Then Matthew 9.35 Matthew 9.35 And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Synagogues. Luke 4.15 And he taught in their synagogues being glorified of all. He taught in their synagogues. Luke 4.15 Luke 4.44 And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. He preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Luke 13 verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. He was teaching in one of the synagogues when? On the Sabbath. So we have temple, we have synagogues. Now let's look at houses, homes. In the homes of people. In the house of Zacchaeus, Jesus came to the house he looked up and saw him, I mean to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today, I must abide at thy house. And you can read till verse 10. So that was Jesus doing Bible study in the house of Zacchaeus. Then in the house of Martha, Luke 10, 38 to 42. In the, look of, in the house of Martha. In the house of Martha. Then Jesus did Bible study also in his house. In his house. Matthew 13, 36. Matthew 13, 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. Went into the house. This was Jesus' own house. So in the four gospels, Jesus' teaching ministry was done in two places. In the public, 
which is synagogues and temple and in people's homes. So Jesus himself, who is the foundation of the New Testament church, had two different places for meetings. Public meetings and in the houses of people. How many of you can see that? So Jesus taught in public venues and he taught in houses. It is this that the apostles also carried over. Because the New Testament is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself, the cornerstone. So meeting in houses is doctrinal. And meeting in public places is doctrinal. So a ministry must have meetings in public places and must have meetings in houses. You must have meetings in public places and meetings in houses. It's similar to how Moses chose 70 elders from among the people. Jesus chose 12 disciples to train them for the work of ministry. These 12 men were to learn of Jesus so they can be trained to function in his stead. Matthew 4, 18. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Straightway they left their nets and followed him. They left their nets and followed him. So Jesus took people to train, just like we're training you. Mark 1.16 gives us the same account of people following Jesus for training. Mark 3.14 And he ordained 12 that they should be with him. They should be with what? So what are we doing here? You are with me. That's part of how ministry is developed. That they should be with him. That they should be with him. Somebody was asking me yesterday, Dr. Damina, why didn't you put this meeting on billboards and all kinds of, so that more people will come? I said, I didn't come for Ghana crowd. I came for the people that will reach the crowd. I didn't come for the crowd. I came for the people that will reach the crowd. You don't start with crowd. You start with the leaders that will organize the crowd. Ministry doesn't start with crowd. It starts with twelve. It starts with the 12 who will be trained to reach the crowd. See, I hear you. Yeah. It doesn't start with the crowd. If we want to fill a crowd stadium, I know what to do. I know what to do. I know what to do. It's just some money, shut down all the radio and TV stations. Make some serious noise, mobilize, pay for the stadium, get buses, move people, we'll park the stadium. It's not rocket science. But after that, what next? It achieves nothing. But there's a gradual way of filling the crowd. By raising quality people that will build capacity to fill the stadium. How many of you understand what I'm doing here? So what we're doing here is we're preparing for a takeover. You don't just stand up and take over. You prepare. You build capacity. You equip. Because if the crowd comes in, we must have the leadership that will absorb the crowd and disciple them. Say, I hear you. God said to Moses, I will not give you the land in one day. I will not give you the land in one day. Lest the beasts of the field multiply and overtake you. But I will give you the land little by little, little by little. Why little by little? So that as the, I'm giving you, you are increasing capacity. You are increasing capacity until you can swallow the land. God said, I won't give you in one day. That's God's model. That's God's pattern. 
Say, I hear you. So it's not the crowd first. It's leadership first. It's the people that will be used to reach the crowd. So Jesus begins with 12. And when the 12 were fit, the 12 now began the acts of the apostles. And you can see them in operation. From the 12, all of us have been reached. That's the pattern. It does it. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God is as if a man should cast a seed into the ground. One seed. And should sleep and wake up. Night and day. He knoweth not how. But the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First of all, the blade. Secondly, the corn. Then the full corn in the air. It's gradual. If you want to start a ministry today and explode today, you're a thief. That's not Jesus' kind of ministry. Jesus' kind of ministry is gradual because you must build strength and capacity. Ministries that grow overnight crashes overnight. You can't be smarter than the Lord himself. And you can't be smarter than his apostles. Am I teaching here? Because you need strength. You need strength. You need to grow people. If not, the people will come and overtake the whole work and confusion will begin. People will quarrel and fight and scatter the whole thing and everybody will go his way. But there's a gradual growth. Qualitative gradual growth that culminates in crowd. But not useless crowd. Well-taught crowd. And that's gradual. Say I hear you. And this to make some of you that are in a hurry to calm down. You don't rush this thing. But you are effective. You are effective. People are getting added. People are increasing. That's why in Acts, it begins with the Lord added. In chapter 5, the number of the disciples multiplied. So it begins with addition. Then it gets into multiplication as capacity increases. And remember, chapter 2, addition. Chapter 5, multiplication. is not five days. It may be a space of 10 years between chapter 2 and chapter 5. It takes time to build what will stand. Are you here? If you're hearing me say, I hear you. you. Alright, let's, pu- let's push a little. Let's push a little more. Now, <clears throat> so, uh, they met in houses, they met in synagogues. Jesus gave that, that, that um, pattern to all of us. So, Jesus will train them to function in his place. He takes 12 to be with him. 12 to be with him. Then Luke chapter 10 verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself will come. So he paired them and gave them similar instructions to preach the kingdom of God. He paired people and sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Now, if we take a cue from Jesus' ministry, and we see the way he practiced and taught in the four gospels. The leadership of the local church through its cell system, which will be shepherded by men and women. All this thing about women not speaking in church is just it's, it's, it's a localized instruction to a local assembly where there was crisis in, in husband and wives and wives not obeying their husbands. And that's why Paul says in this particular church, if the women must speak, they must speak to their husbands at home. It's not a general statement for the body of Christ. It was for a particular local church. Are you following? Yeah. Where the women were not in submission to their husbands. The same Holy Ghost in a man is the same Holy Ghost in a woman. And I believe this last, these women will do a lot of ministry than ever before. All the women in the house shall glory. That's right. Will do more ministry than ever before. Don't let any man, don't let anybody put you in the kitchen. You are bigger than the kitchen. Amen. 
You remember my teaching on understanding the call of God? Is woman first before wife? Is man before husband? That's the true identity. You remember that? Very important. All right? All right. And if you observe the ministry of Jesus, women were many in his ministry. Because once there are women in your ministry, your ministry will succeed. When I started ministry, they told me three things to be careful about. Women, money, and fame. And as I matured in ministry, I discovered there are the three things you need. You need women, you need money, you need fame. When I started, they said, be careful of women, be careful of money, be careful of fame. As I grew in ministry, I discovered three ingredients that will help your ministry grow. Women, money, and fame. That's why Jesus' ministry had women. Jesus' ministry had money. And Jesus' ministry had fame. His fame went before him. So when he comes in, because of his fame, the crowd gathered. Certain women gave to Jesus of their substance. So women sponsored Jesus' ministry. Because if women believe in something, they will carry their life and put inside. Women are builders. Women, are, if, you have, if you have ten women and two men, be happy. Church will grow. Men take time. Men will analyze. 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 Sometimes they will withdraw. Then they will come again and analyze. But women, once they believe it, that's why the first apostles to the apostles were women. The women were the first apostles to the apostles of the Lamb. So women were the ones who preached to the apostles about his resurrection. So the first apostolic preachers of the gospel were women before the 12 apostles. It's women that preached to the 12 apostles. You're not hearing me. Somebody say, I hear you. So if you have women in your campus, don't think, ah, I need more men. Those women, they are machines. If they understand why they are there, that campus will go a million directions. I'm teaching good here. Thank God for women. And thank God for men too. Because when men finally catch the fire, you can't stop them. They will carry everything on their head. And they will pull out the Benjamins. You know the Benjamins, right? They will bring out the Benjamins. And they will make sure the work is not limited. So we need both men and women. And young people. Ah, Young people are the future of that ministry. If you have young people, children, don't play. Don't play with children. Don't play with young people. Don't think, no, no, this one, this one. Hey! Those are the ones that need more attention because the future of that ministry is in the hands of those young people. You don't put them down at all. They are as, in fact, they are more important. A ministry that doesn't have young people has no future. When all the old people die, that ministry has ended. That's why the churches in England are being bought over by mosques. Because young people in England don't go to church. Saturday night all over London, the streets are filled with young people drinking, womanizing and dancing all over the place. At midnight they are drunk. They all fall down on the streets. They will bring a truck early in the morning and be packing them to police station. So that when they recover from their stupor, they can go home. Sunday morning, they are not in church because they were drunk last night. 
is all old people you see in the cathedrals. That's why the church in England is, is gradually dying, except for what God is doing now, raising a new set of people. In fact, all over Europe, a new set of people God is raising all over the place. Power city campuses are spreading all over. So there's hope for Europe. There's hope for Europe. There's hope for Europe. And where the darkness is, the light shines brighter. I'm not telling a powerful amen. So young people are important. You must engage them. And let me tell you, if you give the young people in your campus or house church an opportunity, if you hear them discuss Bible and scripture, you'll be baffled. Because their intelligence is such that if they understand the message, they communicate it at their level and they communicate it in a language that the people of their, of their age, age bracket will understand. So everybody is important. Men, women, youths, children. Everybody is important. And let me tell you, you don't need a different message for children. The same thing the adults are hearing, the children will understand. The same. You don't need... No, no, no. You, it's the same. Because the word of God is spirit. And those children, you know, they are born again. They have the spirit of God. So they will understand. Someone said to me, no. Do we have any way of breaking down for... Do you don't, what are you teaching that you need to break down? You don't need to break down anything. Jesus died. Is that what you want to break down? Okay, Jesus fainted. Break it down. <laughs> Jesus died. Is Jesus died. There's no way to break it down. Some said, no, let's give them Bible stories. Jesus was not doing Bible stories at the age of 12. He was in the synagogue discussing with the doctors of the law. Discussing scriptures, not Bible stories. Not Bible stories. From a child, you have known the holy scriptures. You should know it. Children should know it. Say, I hear you. So our children should be organized. And the same thing the adults are hearing, the children should hear. And when the service is, when the, when the teaching is over, they should be asked to contribute. If you read their notes, you will see that they know what they are writing. If you read their notes, you will know that they know what they are writing. Teaching good? If you read their notes, you will know that they know what they are writing. And this is very important because that's the future. That's the future of the, of the gospel. That's the future of ministry. Our young people and our children. You won't fail. You won't fail. You won't fail. You won't fail. Praise God. I'm communicating, right? Now, take note of this also. <clears throat> Every member of the local assembly must be involved in evangelism and discipleship. It is your responsibility as the leader, as a pastor, as a coordinator to make sure everybody is involved. And you supervise their level of involvement. And you demand for reports. You demand for reports. There's a pattern Moses used. Thousands, hundreds, tens, fifties. Jesus also used the same. He told them to sit down in the book of Mark, Luke chapter 9 from verse 12 to 15. I'm going to read verse 14 and 15. That is when he multiplied bread and fishes. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down by fifties in a company. Sit down by what number? 50s. So you can imagine 5,000 people grouped in, the, grouped, grouped in groups of 50s. You can imagine how many groups will be there. 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50, 50
Where did Jesus get that from? Beginning at Moses. So he saw what Moses did by the advice of Jethro. He applied it in his grouping here. And that's the same thing the apostles did. Am I teaching here? Remember I told you Bible doctrine will have his, a, a, a representation where? In Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus or Numbers, right? Or Deuteronomy. If it is not there, just don't take it serious. Praise God. Are you tired? You are thinking, right? Okay. Because you guys are answering me like meditation. And sometimes when people are meditating, you have to be very sure of the kind of meditation. Because there are two types of meditation. There's meditating the scripture and meditating in rest. <laughs> Praise God. Are you excited? Ghana will be taken over by the gospel. I keep speaking it because I keep seeing it. Ghana will be taken over by the gospel. Ghana will be taken over by the gospel. Ghana will be taken over by the gospel. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This nation will be run over by the gospel of Christ. In the name of Jesus. Let's push it a little more. So they sat in companies of 50. It implies that they sat in groups and in cells. It's therefore vital to know that the 12 disciples of Jesus were chosen to be eyewitnesses of his work on the earth. They went to preach and to witness the gospel of Christ. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. Now, remember that in, in some of these things that I'm communicating with you, we are looking at the pattern. So, let's deal with this. Where did the church meet? Where did the New Testament church, where were they meeting? Acts 2, 46. Acts chapter 2, verse number 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Observe that breaking of bread was one of the things that the believers did in the gathering. Breaking of bread. Other things that they did when they gathered included prayer, fellowship, and the disciples, the doctrine of the apostles. So it's very clear that this was done from house to house. So in the houses, they broke bread, they prayed, they fellowshiped in the houses, and they feasted on the apostles' doctrine. Which means the house churches were full churches. Because anywhere you have these activities, that's a full church. Where you have prayer, where you have breaking of bread, where you have fellowship, and where you have the doctrine of the apostles. Acts 5.42 And daily in the temple and in every house. Where? In every house. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. In every house. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house. And holy men and women committed them to prison. Why was he entering houses? Because he knew that there were churches in houses. He knew that there were churches in houses. So they met in the temple and they met in houses. They met in the temple and they met where? In houses. Is it getting clear? Now, let me give you more scriptures. Acts 12, 12. 
And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Where were they gathered together praying? In the house of Mary, the mother of John. So they had prayer meetings happening in the houses. Prayer meetings. In Acts 16.32 And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. All that were where? In his house. So house churches were predominant in the apostolic operations. Acts 16.40 the house of Lydia, Acts 16.40. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. So there was a church in the house of Lydia. Acts 18.7. Acts 18.7. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justus, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So, they met in Justice's, Justice's house. The apostles document this practice in many of their epistles. For example, Romans 16 verse 5. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Ephenetus, who is the first fruit of Achaia unto Christ. The church that is in their house. 1 Corinthians 1.11 For it had been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Cleo, that there are contentions among you. So, there's a church in the house of Cleo. 1 Corinthians 16.15 I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanas, that it is the first fruit of Achaia. In verse 19 of the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 16, 19. The churches of Asia salute you. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. Are we getting it clear? So house churches is apostolic. It's apostolic. It's not a new invention. It's apostolic. It's part of doctrine to have church houses. House churches. Praise God. Hallelujah. Colossians 4.15 Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphas and the church which is in his house. Philemon 1.2 And to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. To the church in thy house. So if you observe, there's a consistent reference in different letters to the term the church in thy house. This implies two things. A constituent group of the local church in a city or a meeting place of believers. Look at it. This is what it means. You move to a, give me a name of a village or a town in Ghana where we don't have a power city. Hmm? Agege. Agege is a place. So let's say you move to Agege. Okay? And you want to start ministry. You start with your house. 
That's how you start. You will open a gege from a house. You preach to a family, they get saved. You start discipleship in that house. From that house, you start reaching the community. Then after a while, you break it. You start another house. Another house. Another house. Before you know it, you have disciples in five, six, ten houses. They are growing. Then you now look for a hall where you can do your Sunday meetings. Then they do their midweek meetings in houses. Are you following? You don't go to Agege. I'm going to be looking for hall. No. House. Is it getting clear? That's how you do it. So when he says the church in thy house is two things. Number one, it's like Spintex campus. Spintex. Okay. Let's say you have 50 people in Spintex. You can start 10 house churches in Spintex. Because if there are 50, five can form one house. Five can form another house. Five can form another house. Five can form another house. So 50 members, 10 house churches. And they grow. From 10, they will become 20 house churches. From 20 to 30. As they are growing in house churches, Spintex Hall, after a while, cannot take the number. So you start two services. While you are doing two services, you look for a bigger hall. Because the house churches are increasing, the strength of their house is, the church is increasing, so you look for a bigger hall. Am I teaching? That's how you go about That's how it was. So it's either to open up a city, or within the local assembly, you have house churches, where believers are strengthened and released to go into evangelism. So every house church has the responsibility to evangelize its community. Each house church, its community. Each house church, its community. Don't leave your house church area and go to another house church area for evangelism. Do it in your area. Because there are people in that area that will do their own. Before you know it, the whole place is covered. Am I teaching here? That's how we function. That's how it operates. And it's important we teach you this because that's the way we will take over this nation. That's the way we invade this nation. Somebody shout, it's not shouting amen. amen. It's little by little. So those are the two things. Now, why do we gather? Why? Why do we gather? In Numbers chapter 11, there are vital lessons as to why we gather. I'm going to read Numbers 11, 16 to 18. And I want you to pay attention. Numbers 11, 16 to 18. Why do we gather? We have looked at where do we gather, right? Now we're looking at why do we gather? Are you learning something? Is there any question from anybody? Not yet? Everything is clear. Okay. So why do we gather? Numbers eleven sixteen to verse 18. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. And you shall eat flesh, for you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? 
for it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh and you shall eat. Observe the following things. Number one, they were together. They were to gather. Gather the people. Number two, the resultant effect of the gathering will be that God will take the spirit upon Moses and put it upon the elders. First of all, they will gather. Number two, as a result of the gathering, God will take the spirit that is upon Moses and put it on the elders. Number three, they were to sanctify themselves. That is, they were to keep the gathering sacred. They were to keep that meeting holy. Now, so what is the essence of gathering? The essence of gathering is discipleship. The essence of gathering is discipleship. Where the disciple is being further fitted and equipped to be just like the leader. Where you are further fitted and equipped to be like the leader. That's the essence of our gathering. When we come together in a house church, all of us, oh brother, you will open us in prayer for 5-10 minutes. Brother, you will give a short charge from what we studied last week for 5 minutes. See? Brother, you will take the offering. Brother, you will give announcements. So everybody has an opportunity to begin to exercise for growth. Are you observing this? Everybody's involved. Nobody is left out. All of us are learning and growing. After a while, next week you you change the rotation. You give us a charge for five minutes. And then in our midweek service, we do book reviews. In our midweek service, back in Uyo, we do book reviews. Because in the book reviews, on Sunday, there are a number of chapters we are supposed to cover. And some, some, some campuses cannot cover those number of chapters. So in midweek service, what you didn't cover on Sunday, you now cover it at the end of teaching. So we, 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 from the book you read, chapter this to this, what stood out for you? You stand up and share. What about you? You stand up. What about you? Everybody is contributing. So all of us are being edified. And because you know you will contribute, you will read carefully. Where you will have read without paying attention. Now you are paying attention because you know that what you are going to contribute will be scrutinized. Others will hear you. Others will listen. So now you are careful. You read with rapt attention. You take note of every word. So that when you speak, it will edify us. So you are growing. You are growing. After a while you find out that you can speak for 20-30 minutes. And what is coming out of you is heavy. Oh my God, I'm growing. That's how you grow. So we do all of that. And then of course, we identify those who are coming for the first time to our house church. Then we assign them to brethren for discipleship. So everybody is growing. Because the whole intent is for you to grow. The whole intent is not for us to display that we are anointed. <laughs> no, we are not displaying here. There is no time for display. Those that are displaying, they are in entertainment churches. 
You may be going through now, but don't stop. If you're going through, don't give up. I, I feel, I feel it. Somebody shout, yeah. I say shout, yeah. I feel it. And people are saying, yeah. Nobody is writing because we are not there to learn. We are there to watch an actor and he's acting the script. So that you know I know how to do it. So I chose not to do it. We've been there. We've done all that. After many years of doing that, you find out that no disciple is raised. You are the only disciple. <laughs> How many of you go to school to watch an entertainer? You go to school and your teacher comes into the class. Ah, I feel it. Mm. Ah, I feel it. It's called biology. Mm. Biology. Mm. I feel biology. Mm. Say bio. <laughs> Say lo, 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 lo. Say logi. Mm. I feel it. Shout fire. <laughs> so I paid my school fees. To come out here, this nonsense. <laughs> no. When you get to school, your teachers are serious. They teach, 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 teach. They answer questions. They leave. You went to that school as a nobody. You graduate an architect. You graduate a lawyer. You graduate a doctor. You graduate a zoologist. For five years of pouring knowledge into you. Your life is changed forever. Why will you be in a church for ten years and you're still the same? Because we are playing. Zoo. I feel it. Mm, shout fire. Mm, fire 35 times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If yours is louder, the fire will be hotter. Mm-hmm. And after 10 years, they say, what is salvation? You say, you can lose it. You are not well. <laughs> Am I teaching good? A lot of play in the church. People are just playing all over the place. Playing everywhere. And if it's too much, you just throw everybody under the power. Throw them down. Throw them down. Let them be rolling on the floor. Because when they're on the floor, it's easy to collect their money. The man that threw you down, you give him your money now because you don't know what else he will do. After you throw them down, they are not writing any note. They stand up and go up to recover from falling. <laughs> Too much play in the church. Too much play. And that's why things have to change. And you are the change agent. Amen. Lift your right hand and shout, I'm a change agent. I'm in Ghana. I am bringing the change. The revolution of the gospel of Christ to the body of Christ. I didn't hear a good amen. Yeah, we are the change agents. And we have what it takes to bring the change. Glory to God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 tells you. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. For the perfecting of the saints. In view of the work of ministry. You are being perfected in view. In view. So the perfecting of you to making you fit. Is in view of the work of ministry. So the role of the leadership. The role of the leadership is for stability and growth in the local assembly. So, the cell structure aids regular gatherings and multiplicity of of leadership. 
During the lockdown, everybody locked down in Power City. We had church going on every day. People are meeting in clusters every day. Every day. Throughout that one year. Sometimes I will go visit the house churches. I will go. Because in my city, nobody can stop me from moving. Even if government say don't move and everybody is not moving. Me, I will move. Me to am government. Can't stop me. Police? Who, who is police? You meet the police say, ah, Papa, pray for us. Be blessed. Be blessed. Move, move. I was moving from house to house. Are you not afraid of COVID? COVID? Is COVID not a name? It's a name. I even had the COVID and I was preaching with the COVID every day. <laughs> I had the COVID. <laughs> because I was moving too much until COVID entered me. I also entered it and two of us came out of each other. <laughs> I was preaching every day with the COVID. Every day because I was alone in the building so I was not going to infect anybody. I was preaching every day. Then at night the COVID would hit me. I would stay awake till morning. I'd be struggling to breathe. And I told COVID, you will finish and go, I'll still be here. <laughs> and after three weeks, it finished and I'm still here. Yeah. I was preaching every day. Because the life of God in me cannot be taken out by COVID. Amen. 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 I was going around. And then there were times we discovered people are struggling to, to have food. I sent for food to be brought in trucks. And then we split the food and sent to the houses. For brethren who don't have food, give them food. We were steadily supplying food to everybody who couldn't find food throughout the lockdown. That's part of breaking bread from house to house. We even made phone numbers available on social media in all our campuses. If you're in this area of the world and you cannot find food to eat or you're struggling, call this number. Our people are there to help. And we sent money, sent food to people in different parts of the world. Some pastors, I sustained them throughout the period. Where did we get the money from? Somehow, somehow the money came. That's part of it. That's part of it. But our house churches never stopped meeting. So the day we now say we're coming back, nobody was lost. Everybody came back. That's the wisdom of cell churches. That's the wisdom of house churches. Am I communicating at all? Because everybody was with everybody. Those who got sick, we prayed for them. Two of my people got very sick. The COVID hit one of them. He was isolated in the camp because his home was almost taking him out. His friend died. I called him. <laughs> I told him, you're going nowhere. Me and you will do this ministry together. He said, yes, Papa. I said, it's not yes, Papa. We will do this ministry together. I prayed for him, prayed for him. Morning, evening, morning, evening. After about a week or two, he was discharged. He came back. I told him, I'm not letting you go anywhere. Another one was hit. He was struggling. I told him, you're going nowhere. I refuse you. Even if you want to go, I refuse you. You're not going anywhere. He's still around. <laughs> but if we were not in touch, how will we know? So that's why we meet in houses. Let me tell you something else. When we meet in house churches, if a brother is sick, we can come around and pray. If a brother can, does not have food, we will know he doesn't have. We give. So the meeting together provides an avenue for love, for togetherness, for bonding, and for strength. Apart from evangelism and discipleship, it makes us bond. So when we come together in the greater meeting, we're all bonded together with one another. I mean, if you understand what that does, that's what it does. But in the bigger church, you can be sick, nobody knows. But not in a house church. 
Because in a house church, we are just few. When we come, everybody is looking at everybody. You're not looking together. What's wrong? But in the bigger church, some people may not notice. So that's why the little, little churches, the house churches are critical. And let me tell you something else. Dr. Gabriel said it yesterday from a medical perspective. The cells of your body determines the functionality of the overall body. So the house churches determine how healthy the campus is. The house churches determine how healthy the campus is. If the house churches are doing well, the campus is doing well. So how do we know a campus is doing well? By the house churches. The strength of the house churches, the effectiveness of the house churches is how we determine whether the campus is doing well or not. You don't look at somebody's physical body and say it's doing well. No, medical science will look at the little, little cells. They will look at the little, little things that compose the body to know if the man is healthy or not. That's why if you want to check your state of health, they will ask you for blood. Isn't it? They'll ask you for stool. They'll ask you for urine. Yeah. And they'll ask you for sputum. Then they will use that to know whether you're healthy or not because those things will expose the state of your health. So the same thing. How do we know a campus is healthy? We look at the little, little churches within that campus. We look at the individuals. We look at evangelism. We look at prayer. We look at the discipleship structure. It is those indices that show us how healthy a campus is. Can I have a powerful amen? amen. Have I given you the doctrinal position of house churches? Amen. Have I shown you the doctrinal position of public meetings, which are synagogues and temples? Did you see that they are all doctrinal? None of them is an invention. That is how it is supposed to be in the New Testament. Somebody's not shouting hallelujah. hallelujah. Can I have a powerful amen? amen? So a key fact about this church was that they gathered daily. How many times were they gathering? Yeah. Daily. Daily. So in a, in a house church, there must be a reason to meet daily. There must be a reason. And that's why I said, every day you eat food, you must ensure you evangelize. You must. If your body needs food, the kingdom needs a soul. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing. Morning, afternoon, evening, you must look for an opportunity. You have 24 hours every day. You must at least devote one hour to advance the kingdom of God. And that's where you do evangelism. So out of 24 hours, give God one hour a day for evangelism. Make it a lifestyle. If you are not evangelizing, you are raising a disciple. But every day, you are doing something to advance the kingdom. Somebody say, I hear that. That's so important. Every day. I didn't say once a week. I mean daily. Because that's apostolic. They met daily. Brother Paul was teaching every day by the space of two years. Two years of daily teaching. That's about 700 days of teaching. Every day. Every day. Yesterday, Dr. Gabriel called my attention to something. In the past, how many years that Dr. Gabriel has known me, he said he has not, he cannot remember one week I was not teaching somewhere or preaching somewhere. And it's true. There's hardly any week I'm not teaching or preaching. At least two, three days. There's hardly any week. Throughout the lockdown, I preached every day. Some days I preached twice. Throughout, I did not have one day break. 365 days of 2020, I preached every day. Into 2021, I didn't have a break for one day. And there's no week I'm not preaching. Because in ministry, the moment you take a short vacation from preaching, when you come back to preach, you find out that you have become rust. 
So you need to preach all the time. That's what makes you grow. That's what makes you effective. Am I communicating at all? Are you understanding? So every day you must have an hour to evangelize or an hour to raise a disciple on a daily basis. So you are doing ministry as a lifestyle. You are doing ministry as a lifestyle. You are serving the kingdom of God. You are grateful. God gave you 24 hours. You are giving God at least an hour a day to serve his purpose on it. Because that's why you were created. Are we teaching here? If you are understanding, shout, I hear you. I believe God that the next time we come to Ghana, you will be times four of this. That amen is not good enough. I'm not saying the members of Power City in Ghana will be times four. I mean your leaderships. Campus coordinators, house church pastors, you will be times four of this number. I'm not telling that, amen. amen. Somebody shout, I evangelize. I raise disciples. I advance the kingdom of God. I was created to serve God's purpose. And I will serve that purpose the remaining days of my life. I didn't hear a powerful amen. amen. Please sit down. I'm almost through with this session. Tonight is impartation, right? Now, take note of another word. Steadfastly in Acts chapter 2. They continued. Acts 2.42 They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The word steadfastly was translated from a word that means to adhere to one. Be an adherent. Or to be devoted. It also means to be steadfastly attentive unto. Or to give unremitting care to a thing. Steadfastly. They continue steadfastly. Look at me for a minute. A lady called me from the UK who follows my ministry and said, Dr. Damina, I'm angry with you. Whoa. What have I done, ma? I'm angry with you. I'm not happy with you. I'm sorry. I'm very sorry. Whatever it is, before I even know what it is. I'm sorry. He said, Dr. Damina, I, you were teaching and I was writing the notes of what you were teaching. Then after you finished, I've written many notes. I, I thought I understood. Then I came back and played your teaching and checked my notes. Your teaching was different from what I was writing. <laughs> Dr. Damina, I hate you. How can you make me look like a dummy before myself? I said, I'm sorry. So that means, after all these years of following you, I've not understood anything. I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, all my notes, I'm checking the notes. I sat and wrote while you were speaking. Now I'm playing your message and I'm checking my notes. There are things I wrote you didn't say. Where did I get it from? <laughs> I said, you got it from yourself. You assumed what I said. You didn't hear what I said. Then I now said to her, let me advise you a bit. When you hear me teach, write everything verbatim, including my stories, my jokes. If I laugh, say, and he laughed. <laughs> I say, if you write like that, you will develop a skill in writing what I teach. After a while, you won't need to write everything. But you will know what you are writing. I say because in your mind, your mind already assumes it knows what I will say. 
So as you are writing, you are writing what is in your mind, not what I am saying. Now you have to reschool your mind. You have to reschool your mind by writing everything verbatim. Some of you, if you go and check, you will discover that experience is happening to you. If you check your note, you will see things I didn't say that you wrote. It's normal. Do you understand? Yeah. So you have to develop a skill so that you don't, you don't, you don't say what I didn't say. You don't write because everything we say when we teach is intentional. Our words are calculated. That's why you see me. I keep reading because I want to ensure I don't leave the tangent of what I'm supposed to be saying to you. Because sometimes in the course of teaching, you get excited. And out of excitement, you veer off. Notes help you to stay in sync with a thought. And take that thought to its logical conclusion. When I was a young preacher, I thought preachers who read notes are lazy. They are not intelligent. But as I've grown in ministry, I discover it is more intelligent to read notes than to preach without notes. You are more intelligent because it means you are disciplined. It means you are intentional and it means you are not trying to impress anybody. You just want to make sure the right information is communicated. How many of you understand what I've just said? That's why you read notes. Notes are to help keep you in line with a thought until it arrives at conclusion. And over the years I discovered, those days I preached without notes, I said some things that after a while I was embarrassed that I said such things when I was preaching. Then I discovered that the teachings I did with notes, when I listened to it, me myself, I'm edified. Me myself, I'm blessed. Now, you may not understand that today, but take that as a treasure and keep somewhere. In a few years from now, you will understand. Because I didn't understand that for many years. I said, why is he reading notes? So does he need his notes? Where is the Holy Spirit? Where is the Holy Spirit? Why is the man not walking by the Spirit to preach? Why is he reading notes? But you forget that the whole Bible that we used to preach is notes. We are using what is written to preach. We are not waiting for Holy Spirit to tell us. We are reading it from a book. So it's important. That's why Paul said, bring me the parchment. Because the apostles use notes to teach. It's very important. So as a Sunday school teacher and as a house church pastor, you must have notes. The notes you are making from what I'm teaching will be the notes you will use in teaching others. So if your notes are not accurate, your teaching cannot be accurate. So you must have a mastery in writing notes. You must have a skill in taking notes because we are building, we are training, we are developing people. And if you observe, our teachings are like a proper education curriculum. If you observe, the books, the teachings, everything is in sync. True or false? They work hand in hand because we are educating. We are equipping you to last in serving the purpose of God. Praise God. So that word, steadfastly, it means unremitting care to a thing. That means the frequency of their gathering is a lesson for us. They met daily with one accord in the temple daily with one accord in the temple. That's instructive. So meeting constantly is part of doctrine. There was a consistency to their gatherings. 
consistency. They had public meetings where they met in the temple and they also met in the houses of believers. Meeting in the houses of believers would provided them with the added opportunity of demonstrating hospitality. And they did this all the time. All the time. If God gives you the ability and we're meeting in your house and you have some money sometimes, you make food for us to eat. It's part of it. You give us drinks. You give us water. If you don't have, don't be scared. If you have, bring. If you don't have, no worries. And if a brother in that house church has, he can also bring for all of us. It's part of it. Am I communicating at all? It's part of it. When the food is available, let's eat it. When the food is not available, we understand. But we're not gathering for food. We're gathering for the word of God. But because it's a love fellowship, food can come. Once in a while. Not every day. Because the meetings are constant. Is it getting clear? Yeah. Some people here have the ability. Some people are blessed by God. You know, you have money. You can make food available once in a while. Not every week. Not even every month. Can they say, okay, uh, last quarter we have not eaten. Let's eat next week. And we all come together and eat. Or we can decide, next week fellowship, everybody come with food from your house. We will eat each other's food. But let it not be a requirement. It's just part of caring for one another. How many of you understand what I'm saying here? It's not a requirement, but it can happen in the house churches. Because in the apostolic meetings, they were breaking bread. Breaking bread is not holy communion. Breaking bread is love feast. People brought food for everybody to eat. That's breaking bread. Breaking bread doesn't mean holy communion. Holy communion is not breaking bread. Holy communion is Passover rebranded. Breaking bread is love feast. People bringing food and everybody eating. That's the meaning. The Lord's Supper is not holy communion. The Lord's Supper is evening food. Like dinner. Dinner is supper. <laughs> so supper is not holy communion. Holy communion is Passover rebranded. So Passover is different from supper. Supper is different from breaking bread. Breaking bread, love feast. Supper, evening food. Passover is what the, is rebranded as Holy Communion. Supper you eat and you are satisfied. Love feast you eat and you are satisfied. Passover you don't eat and you are satisfied. Because it's symbolic. Is it clear? If somebody is clear on that, can I have a powerful amen? amen. How many times did they meet? How many times did they meet? How many times are we supposed to meet? Every day. Every day. Now let me ask you, the apostles, did they have jobs? Did they have professions? Did they have businesses? Yet they had time to meet every day. Some say, oh, no, I'm busy. I have work. They also had work. But you will always create time for anything you want to do. Anything you want to do, no matter how busy you are, you create time for it. You find time for it. So we meet every day. Why do we meet every day? Because we're evangelizing every day. Why do we meet every day? We're raising disciples every day. Praise the Lord. Great days are ahead of us. I didn't hear a powerful amen. amen. Now, look at Acts chapter 3 verse 1. Specific meeting times. Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Hour. So they had an hour of prayer. The ninth hour. 
hour of prayer. So in a, in a house church, you can have an hour of prayer. An hour of prayer. Ministry without prayer is weak ministry. Prayer is ministry power. Prayer is important. They met at the hour of prayer. Now, the audience that Luke was writing to understood the meaning of hour of prayer. It means there was no randomness to the gathering. There was timing to it. The ninth hour of the day points to 3 p.m. So they met at 3 p.m. in the afternoon to pray. The church had set times in the day where they gathered to pray. And it caused that gathering their own company. They went back to their own company. So there was a bond of brotherhood. A bond of brotherhood. You go to work and you are harassed at your office. You call the brethren. Brethren, I need some help. At the hour of prayer today, I want you guys to pray for me. So when we come together, Brethren, somebody challenged me today. I need some support in prayer. So at the hour of prayer, because you know that there will be an hour of prayer. And every time we pray, prayers are answered. So that hour of prayer becomes a precious time. How I many of you understand what I'm saying? That's supposed to be like that. It's a place you go to fire up. It's a place where if you're harassed, you go and receive strength. You come back and fire the devil. Hour of prayer. We must have those kind of things. We must have those kind of things. Growing up in ministry, I had friends who we met every day to pray. Every day, two, three hours. There are times we pray 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm not talking about prayer and singing and dancing. Pure prayer. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Praying. There were times we prayed all night till the following evening. All night till the following evening. Those were part of my trainings. So when you see me teach and teach, preach and preach, I'm like, Papa, don't you get tired? I have developed capacity and resilience. And my body had adjusted to this lifestyle by training. By training. He says, as a good soldier, endure hardship. You endure hardship by being trained to endure it. Hello. That's how you learn ministry. That's how you do it. So they had an hour of prayer. Now, if you pay close attention to Luke's submission, take note of these following facts. Number one, they went to their own company. Number two, they reported all that the chief priests and elders have said unto them. Number three, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. Number one, they went to their company. Number two, they reported. Number three, they lifted up their voices. Number four, when they had prayed. Number five, they were assembled together. Number six, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Number seven, they spoke the word of God with boldness. I go over it. They went to their company, number one. Number two, they reported all that the chief priest had said. Number three, they lifted up their voices. Number four, when they had prayed. Number five, they were assembled together. Number six, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Number seven, they spoke the word of God with boldness. So they had a united sense of purpose. They had a united sense of purpose. 
Everyone fed from the same source. And everyone did the same things. In Acts chapter 6 verse 4, they say we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Continually. We will give ourselves continually to prayer. The word continually was translated from a Greek word, proskaterio. P-R-O-S-K-A-R-T-E-R-E-O. Proskaterio. P-R-O-S-K-A-R-T-E-R-E-O. Proskaterio. It implies something that is done constantly or diligently. It, it depicts a regular activity. They gathered together and learnt the word. And Luke is very particular in making you see the pattern. Amen. I said amen. So they met daily. They met constantly. And they went around preaching and teaching the word of God. Praise the Lord. I said praise the Lord. So we meet together on Sundays and we meet in houses midweek. Then we meet every day according to how we're paired. Every day something is happening. Every day we're preaching. Every day we're evangelizing. Every day we're winning souls. A house church or a campus can decide let's invade this community and start a lighthouse there. And everybody in the campus will go as a team and they will bombard that community and start a lighthouse. Then two people from the team will be left to grow that lighthouse and open up that society. That's apostolic. We look for a new place. We move as a team. We invade. We open it up. We leave two people or three to grow the work there. How many of you understand what I'm saying? That's how we do it. That's how we do it. That's exactly how we do it. After a while, you look for another community, we invade. Two people are left to grow the work there. When those two people left, they have left. They are no more coming back here. They've been given an assignment. Separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas has been released. Then after a while, again, when we grow, we invade another community. We leave two people to grow the work. The rest of us, we come back. We keep this one. After a while, we enter another community. We leave two people, we come back. That way you just see us invading everywhere. How many of you understand what I'm saying? That's how it grows. Praise God. And the work will grow. And the work will be done. In the name of Jesus. Questions from anybody? There's a question here. There's another one there. There's another one here. Can we all come bring the microphone? Glory! Too much information, right? It frees you from deformation. All right, let's do it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. We thank God for your presence, Daddy. Thank you. Really blessed. Um, I want to specially bless the life of uh, uh, Dr. Gabriel. That's right. When he was teaching... And uh, Pastor Matthew, I was sitting down and I was crying. Oh. Things were entering me and I was like, 
I've I've lost a lot all these years. And I'm very particular about children and teens. I've been in the children ministry as a child worker since 2009. And there are lots of things that we have been given to teach them. But since I started studying the word and following some men of God, I realized that some of these things, they are just Bible stories and lessons we learn from them. Samson and Delilah, Adam and Eve, Ellie and their children, and a whole lot of things. Daddy, I want to know, we have been going for some camp meetings before COVID, and um, I realized that some children were speaking in tongues. I was confused, because these children I know have not received Jesus Christ. And that shouldn't be, unless maybe I am wrong. So I want to know, this speaking in tongues that these, these children, even as, as age 5, 6, they were at the camp and they were speaking in, and you could see that it's not something that they are faking it. I don't know, but I couldn't understand it. But I thank God that you also answered this question, how do I relay the gospel to children? I was happy when you said that we should give them as they are. I was with my brother Abudu here and yesterday I nearly came to you because of that. And I said, no, I will see you today. And thank be to God, you have answered it as it is. Daddy, these children who speak in tongues as at that age where they don't have Christ, what explanation can we give to that? And the things in my church... Uh, I want to know how best I can handle these ones because a lot of things in the world, it saddens me. I don't know how to do it. I do my best possible to get them, but it's, it's really a tough thing. And I'm really blessed that I'm here. And I, and I pray I'll stay under your anointing and receive a lot from you. God bless you. Amen. Well, you know, with tongues, salvation is not tongues. Tongues is not salvation. But you never can tell whether they are saved or not. Because salvation happens in microseconds. Once a child understands that Jesus died, he was buried for him, that child is saved. Once a child understands that that child is saved, and it's easy for children to speak in tongues. Because they don't have the complications of calculating in their mind, like adults. So, for you to be double sure, if you are not sure, just Engage the children in discussing scriptures. Engage them in discussing scriptures. And don't discourage them from speaking. Leave them to flow. That's what to do. Because salvation happens in microseconds. Bam! You won't even know when it has happened. Even the person saved may not know it has happened. He just heard the gospel, understood it, believed it. Bam! Salvation happens. He doesn't have to say, Jesus, come into my heart. Mm -mm. Once he believes in his heart, he's saved. That's why the deaf and dumb can be saved because they can't speak but they are saved. Because it's a hard thing. Is it clear? Yeah. So if you're not sure of it, engage them in a discussion. And you may be surprised that they know what they're doing. You may be surprised. You know, little children will be observant but you don't know they're observing. It's when they now start talking, ah, so you observe that too. That's how they are. You know, and children can be saved because they will understand. 
Today, you don't underestimate children. At the age of four, five, children already know what they're doing. That's why they can pick a phone and operate it without training. They are not as dull as we used to be in our time. We are at the age of 10, 11, you still don't know anything. If you are going to school, they say, are you of age? Put your hand like this. If your hand touch your hair, your feet to go to school. I bet you remember back in the days. Today's children, two, three, four. Because they start training them from one. Even before one, they start showing them videos and all that, and they're already following. Before you know it, they're already speaking the language. So children are very fast nowadays. You know, so, yeah. God bless you, Daddy. Thank you. Next question. Hallelujah. Praise I think God. my first question is answered uh, concerning the deaf and dumb, those who can speak. Okay. Yes. Um, second question is uh, I do have this challenge where people ask me uh, about Saturday and then Sunday issue. Though I know that Saturday and Sunday is not the real deal. But then uh, as we learn, we could see that the disciples and Jesus, they go to the synagogue and temples, and it, it was regularly on Saturday. So when exactly did it move from Saturday to Sunday? Okay, let me give you a scripture. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts 27. And upon the first day of the week, what is that? Sunday. When the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and they continued his speech until midnight. So they met on Sunday. Saturday was Sabbath, Jewish culture, Judaism. Judaism is where that came from, the Sabbath, from the law of Moses. But Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. See that? So Christians decided to use Sunday for worship. But whether it's Sunday or Friday or Wednesday, once there's a gathering around the word of God with a defined leadership, it's church. It can be Tuesday. It can be Friday. It doesn't have to be Sunday. Why it is Sunday is because Sunday is the day government recognizes and gives us public holiday. So we use Sunday. Do you understand? So that everybody has the opportunity to worship. In Dubai, they meet on Fridays. Sunday is work day. On Sunday, everybody's working. So their day is Friday because Muslims use Friday. So they give Christians Friday for free. So churches in Dubai meet on Fridays. We have a church there. They meet on Fridays. In Doha, they meet on Fridays. Our campus. So that's the way it is. The days don't matter anymore. Okay. So if I find my, uh, myself in a place that um, Sunday is occupied, I can change it to any other day. You can start Tuesday service. Okay. And okay. Tuesday is your Sunday. Everybody okay. comes and they are taught the word of God. Okay, thank you, sir. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Papa, thank you so much for coming to Ghana. We really appreciate it. Um, I have three questions. Please, um, this scripture, Ephesians 4.11, where it says, um, he gave some apostles, and then the some. The some there is no human beings. The some there are the functions. Within the functions, some functions are apostles. Some functions are prophets. Some functions are evangelists. Some functions are pastors. Some functions are teachers. They are functionalities that are in a man. It's not different people because what is discussing there is not people, it's gifts. So the sum will be gifts. Thank you very much. 
please, the second question is, um, I have, as a personal uh, question, I have left the church based on the training I've had for you. And once uh, we are being trained for evangelism, can I go, because at the point I was a Bible uh, class teacher, and then I was uh, preaching from some of your books and your messages, but the pastor didn't like it. So I left the church, I went back, and then now I have left. So uh, if we should start evangelism, can I go to those people that were enjoying my message? Because I seem to live around the church, and the people know me. So can I reach to those people um, as my souls? Reach people that are not born again. (laughs) Reach people that are not born again. But if the members of that church come to you, then you disciple them, don't drive them. But don't look for them. Rich people that don't know Christ. But if they look for you to get more teaching, then disciple them. And if from your teaching they leave, you didn't do bad. Because you didn't look for them, they looked for you. You are looking for people that are not saved. Thank you, Papa. People that are not saved or people that are in churches who don't know what they are doing. Those are your people. Is that okay? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Dr. Demina, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm Charles Sabebio. Thank I you. I follow you for so long and uh, very privileged to meet you on a one like you. this. Thank you. Um, I'm also a Christian and I do follow you a lot. Yeah, my question is concerning the, um, the apostles' view of the churching between the building as the church and then the house one like you are breaking down to us. So I want to know what is the difference between Moses I mean is he teaching them Christ the gospel then and were they Christians as we are Christians now that's, that's my main view I want to know. Well Moses was like the prophet over Israel mm-hmm. and his mission was to teach them Christ okay. so he was both a prophet over their nation to teach them Christ and he was like a secular leader over them to give them direction. So in that case, those disciples them, were they Christians then? There was nothing like Christian then. Christianity started in Acts. So those people... Before the book of Acts, nobody was called a Christian. Yes. So were they born again? There was nobody born again in the Old <laughs> Testament. So... I want to know their condition then. Their state of... Yeah. Some of them believed, some of them did not. That is, that's what I want to... Some of them did, some of them did not. But Moses had a responsibility over them as a nation. Okay. But also as a prophet. So he was teaching them Christ while watching over them as a nation. Okay. So like uh, you are teaching us to be much conscious on Christ. And in our time, the reason why I want to know between the status of that time and our time, our time we only focus on Christianity instead of knowing the discipleship. And that is why I'm asking this so that you clarify us for in that very condition. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Bless you. Christianity is the name people who believe in Jesus are called. Do you understand? The name people who believe in Jesus are called is Christianity. So, bless you. But in Christianity, we have discipleship, which is training people in the way of Christ, teaching people as students to model Christ. 
God bless you. Amen. Good afternoon. Afternoon. I'm so glad that I'm here and right under your feet learning so much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Joseph. And Kasua, from, from right? Kasua. Yes, I'm the one from Kasua. And I said Kasua here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my, I have a challenge and I want the, the clarification. When Pastor Matthew was teaching, teaching. Uh, he made mention of uh, praises and worship that, that we, we need to learn so much so we don't have time for uh, singing and all those praises and worship in church and I agree with him uh, but going uh, as part of ministry, I think when I was Bible school, we learned about angels, and the angels were di- uh, divided into three departments, and uh, they had Michael and the war, and, and then Gabriel and the Lucifer and their department, and the Lucifer was in charge of. <laughs> The, 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 the music in the department and all that and God enjoyed his music, his ministry so much and that is why he was, he had the power to also uh, rebel and all, did all that and now that uh, and because he lost his place uh, we are in that position to praise God and worship God with all songs. That's why we are singing so much. So if we are not singing this as part of what I'm learning, we are not singing so much in church, uh, then that that aspect, if it is true, if not, I need more enlightenment. Okay. Thank you so okay. much. Nice, nice, nice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, the church plays too much. So because there's too much play, the church has to look for a way to justify their play. In the apostolic church, in the Acts of the Apostles, the singing was not a department. There was no department like singing. Everybody was teaching and preaching the word of God. But they had what they call speak to one another in Psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts. They didn't have all this specialized singing we have today. All that is a distraction from the main thing. So in the midst of fellowship, we can sing, but singing is not our focus. And even what we are singing is supposed to be from what we are taught. So the singing is to help us register the message into our consciousness. Do you understand? We don't sing what is not taught. We sing what we are taught. We sing what we believe. To help it register. What is a song? A song is sustained talking. It's talk that is sustained. Hallelujah. God is good. Hallelujah, God is good. It's the same thing. It's what I said that you give melody. But if I didn't say, you will not have what to give melody. So it's teaching that we turn into sustained talking. 
Are we together? So singing is not supposed to be a big part of our fellowship. The big part of our fellowship is teaching. And if we're going to sing, our song must be teaching in melody. Teaching in melody. All the thing about Lucifer, Michael, Gabriel is rubbish. <laughs> Lucifer never led any choir. I was taught that nonsense too. That his body had all instruments. So when he lifts his hand, music is a lie. It's not in the Bible. It's assumptions. They are not in the Bible. Lucifer was not worshipping God. Lucifer was one of the angels assigned to serve man. All of them were created in Eden where Adam was. They were not created where God was. Angels and God have not met the first time angels will meet God is Jesus in the manger. So there was nothing like that. Nothing like that. That's why I say, Lucifer, you were created in Eden. You were created in Eden where Adam was. And iniquity was found in his heart because he wanted to be like Adam. It's not God Lucifer wanted to be like. It's Adam. Because Adam was a person that occupied a type of the image and the likeness of God. So, Lucifer wanted Adam's position. So, Adam being stupid, exchanged his position for Lucifer. So, in that exchange was where the fall happened. So, there's nothing like all that. You know. In fact, it will shock you to know that instrumentation is not part of worship. Playing of guitar and keyboard is not part of worship. It's not. It's not in the New Testament. But we do it because it helps us to feel nice. But it is of no value to God. It's only us that enjoy the instrument. So, we enjoy it among ourselves. But where God is concerned, it is the worship from the heart that gets to God, not these physical things. Is it clear? So that's why in Power City, we don't have time for that, because that's not a part of our major. We can sing if we have the time. We can sing if we have the moment. We are not against singing. Singing is not a sin, but it's not a major. Like throughout this conference, have you sung? <laughs> Did you miss anything? Exactly. You didn't sing, but you didn't miss anything. Because everything you need is available. All my conferences, we don't have time for singing because we came to learn God's word. But we can sing. Nothing is wrong with singing. But what singing does is it reminds us what we're teaching so that it goes into our understanding more. Are we together here? And then it is part of our fellowship. We sing, we fellowship, we greet each other, we love on each other. And that's over. Five, ten minutes we're through. We get into the main thing, which is doctrine. Praise God. Is it clear? Yes. So that's why in Power City, we don't have much time for singing. But we sing. But it's not major. Like at the headquarters, after Sunday school, the choir will sing one song for five minutes. Then we will sing, I believe the word of God for six minutes. I take over the mic. I'm already teaching. That's the only song. One song, then the word song, which we all sing together. And I teach. When I'm through, they sing one song. We take up the offering while we're singing. We sing another song for kingdom investment. 
I make the announcements, we close, everybody goes home. So the major time is teaching. Teaching, teaching, teaching. No time for entertainment. The church is not a place for entertainment. It's a place for training. Is it clear? Yeah. Next question. Thank you very much, Papa. Um, this is my second time I've asked the question. Um, but I want to say that um, the first time I had opportunity to listen to you on, um, on a GS, no, on a, those channels was when I visited my sister in the U.S. Okay. After I had done uh, biblical studies uh, with exegesis on Luke 24. Yes. When I listened to you, <laughs> I just realized the work I submitted. How I wish I had listened to that before my exegesis. Okay. It was mind-blowing. And that is where I fell in love with the way you teach the Bible. And I'm so grateful and thankful Thank for you. your life. Thank so you. blessed. Thank you. Ever since. Amen. Amen. Alright, so my question has to do with um, Romans 11, 17. Okay. That if some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive um, root. Well, um, this is something that has been a debate for some time among the Gentiles and the, Jew, the, the Jews. And thankfully, uh, on Thursday, Pastor Phil made mention of the fact that there are two nations, Jews and Gentiles. I was always asking why um, Jews and Gentiles. It, it sounded more of racist, you know. Why Jews and then Gentiles? And sometimes you see Jews first, then Gentiles. Then again, in Galatians 3.8, it says that God foreseeing that um, the gospel will be preached to the Gentiles, preached the message first to Abraham. So I wanted to know um, this issue of the Jews and Gentiles and that there is a time where the, the time of the Gentiles will be over and then it will be turned back to the Jews. And that is where this issue of premillennial thing that comes in where when the first rapture takes place, the Jews are given opportunity to repent and all that. I want, us, I want to have a clarification on that based on the um, Romans 8, 7, 17. Well, the truth of the matter is the Jews and the Gentile dichotomy is something that came from the law of Moses. The Jews were God's people while the Gentiles were not because the Jews were used as a pattern to communicate God's plan. So they now took it as if they were important than us. And that ran through the law. But when Jesus came, he destroyed the dichotomy, brought the Jew and the Gentile together. So there's no more Jew, there's no more Gentile. Okay? And there's no time again where it will be the time of the Jew. The time of the Jew and the Gentile is now. Anybody that doesn't get saved now is finished. There's nothing like first rapture and second rapture. It's nonsense. Nothing like it. I hear there's a church where people are preparing for first flight. That's rubbish. They're all confused. What is first flight? Which airline? Our? <laughs> Or Ibom Air or something. There's nothing like first rapture or second rapture. There's nothing like it. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. There's nothing like first and second. Do you understand? So Jews and Gentiles is now. And the gospel is already getting to the Jews. A lot of Jewish people are born again filled with the Holy Ghost. And they are preaching to themselves. We too are preaching to ourselves. But that dichotomy is over. There's no more Jew, no Gentile. That scripture you quoted in, in, in Romans is Paul's parable of the Jew and the Gentile coming together, no more Jew or Gentile. The other one you read in Galatians 3.8. 
It, it was Abraham who foresaw what God will do. He preached the gospel. It's not God who preached to Abraham. It's Abraham. It's the way it is written. And I think I taught it in Soteria something. You remember that? Okay. It's Abraham because Abraham was a prophet. And prophets foresee. So it's Abraham who foresaw. And when he foresaw what God will do in Christ, he preached the gospel. Okay? Abraham preached the gospel. So that's it. Hope that helps you. Very much. Praise God. Thank you very much. All right. Next. Papa, we are blessed to have you here in Ghana. Thank you. Um, please, I'm Stevenson. Steven. Yeah. Um, please, now, my question is, yeah, concerning evangelism and, yeah, and, yeah, actually my problem now is we are living in a society now that's Ghana here where uh, we are becoming much more and more secular and uh, kind of embracing all kinds of philosophy. So you would have a situation where uh, people tell you that uh, the Bible was written by the white man for colonialism and all that. And it's even surprising to even know that I personally have encountered it, encountered a number of people that it's even surprising to know that people at my age, like students like me and kind of, and they grew up as Christians in the church and all that, but gone to university, they've completed and they also come out and <laughs> it's like you preaching or you trying to share the word of God or when they see you as a devoted Christian, like they see you as kind of a fool. <laughs> so that way. And it's like when you've been trying preaching the gospel to them, like they tell you that Christianity has been around for so long here in Africa and what good thing are we seeing in it? So it's kind of, they are seeing it like kind of in line with our politics. So our politics has also been around for long, no benefits and all that. So it's so, I mean, difficult, I mean, sharing with young people and also older guys. And even yesterday, I was even in a car coming home, and there was also uh, someone preaching, I mean, yeah, by the roadside, this street evangelist. And he opened his speaker very loud, and he was singing alongside. So our car passed by, and there was kind of traffic there, so the sound was directed to our car, and immediately one old man sitting behind said, oh, black man. <laughs> so kind of, because that this idea is like kind of yeah. everywhere, and like, so immediately you stand up saying, I'm going to preach back to someone. You have the impression that you are like yeah. kind of a fool, like kind of, yeah. So how do we, I mean, okay, go so about it? What I would recommend for you is get my teaching on why do I choose to believe the Bible? Why do I choose to believe the Bible? That will help you a lot. How many of you listen to that teaching? Why do I choose? That will help you a lot. Why I choose to believe the Bible. Get that teaching even today and listen to it. It will help you to give you boldness. To make people know that it's not just a white man's religion. Christianity is God's plan expressed to man in the person of Christ. Man sinned. Man must die. Man cannot help himself. Man cannot free himself. And if they say, what benefit has Christianity brought to Ghana or to Africa? Tell them, the major benefit of Christianity is not physical. Physical benefit is supposed to be done by government. Christianity is not supposed to develop Ghana. It is government that is supposed to develop Ghana. Because it's government that has all the wealth and the treasury of Ghana. Christianity is majorly spiritual. 
where your eternity with God is settled, where your relationship with God is active. So you are sure of life after death and you are sure of peace with God while on earth. So you can serve the purpose for which you were created. So if you take them to explain that to somebody, he will have a reason to listen to you. Do you understand what I've just said? So get the teaching on why I choose to believe the Bible. Is that clear? Uh, you can talk to any of our leaders. They will give you that material. Bless you. Next question. Papa, thank you so much. Thank you. You have been a blessing to my house. Praise God. I came with a request. My yes. My sister that I love so much. Yes. Sickness has been worth her body. Sickness? Yes. Okay. And I invited her here. I know when you pray for her. Is she here? Yes. Okay. There will be a miracle. In so your life. sister is here? Yes. Okay, we will pray for her. Like God loves her more than you. And I, I want to thank you because I have a back pain. Since 2015, I listen to you all through the night. Wow. I wake up energized. Wow. I've been to the hospital since that time. Praise Sometimes God. Sometimes it's difficult to wake up in the morning. But I haven't been to the hospital to hear their stories. The stories because they said without back pain, I couldn't have children. But I have five. Wow. I, am, I know when you pray for my sister, I know there will be a miracle. Amen. We receive it for her. We'll pray for her before we go. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. You people are not answering. Are you hungry? Should we close? You know, after today is one service tomorrow. And I will see you again till after some months. So be smiling as you're seeing me, as I'm smiling as I'm seeing you. All right. Praise God. Yes. Welcome to Ghana, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. We are very much blessed to have you. Thank you. Even speaking to you face to face is making me lose my question. But <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Please, thank my you. question is uh, premise done. There's this big pastor in Ghana here who has written a book concerning tithing. And I think Thursday you touched a little bit about it. 120 cases that follow a non titan Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Exusia TV will answer you. <laughs> and Papa, even before <laughs> before I met you, I didn't love coercing people to take things from them. Yes. So I, I, I think I I, I, I I bought a container for my wife and finished it with some things. She also believed in those things then. And thieves came in to steal all those things. Oh. Then we told our, our, my pastor then. Yeah. And he said, eh, it's because you didn't pay your tithe. You didn't pay your tithe. Yes. So, so things are tight. Yes. Yeah. And I was, I, I, I was depressed and I, I decided to leave church. Why would God, who yes, loves me, exactly. be taking things from me exactly. by, by force? Yes. But since I met you, <laughs> Papa, <laughs> Papa, it's a good way and, to think. And he says, my father, and he's taking things from me by force. What kind of father is that? Is he an aerial father? Or what kind of father is he? So I watched a short video of you teaching concerning the tithe, but I didn't get the full one. So please, would like to at least throw a little more light on, on it. Because my wife still believes that if she doesn't pay, yeah, it's a stronghold. It's a uh -huh. mindset. And is your wife here? Yeah. No, please. No, he will have brought her now. Let her hear from us direct. <laughs> no, but sometimes I even hide to watch your videos in the house. It's hard. It's I hide because 
you hide. Yes, please. Because you are the owner of the house. The... <laughs> <laughs> Oscar. Because this is serious, brother. <laughs> Real woman power. <laughs> you want to eat well and sleep well and be at peace. Because the pastor we used to fellowship with, she has so much respect for the pastor and since they saw that, no, I'm getting close to you. I was blacklisted. Yes, blacklisted and I don't know what the pastor told her. You are being persecuted. Being persecuted like you are, Papa. So, Papa, please, throw a little bit more Okay, you need to listen to my teaching on tight and tithing. It's part 1 to 15. It's about 15. It's about 20-something hours, but it's part 1 to 15. Tight and tithing. It gives you the history where tithing started from. Actually, tithing started from idol worship. It's not, it wasn't a Bible practice. It was idol worship. Abraham. Because Abraham was an idol worshiper. And in idol worship, when you visit the idols and you tell them you want to do something, okay, you first of all bring something. Then when you're going, they will promise you safety. When you go and you come back, you bring something. That was a practice of idol worship. And the kings of Abraham's they had that practice. If you go to war and you win the battle, when you come back, you pay 15%. Okay. These things I'm saying to you are in historical documents in public domain. They are not hidden things. Okay, So, Titan predated uh, the Bible. It was part of historical. ancestral and historical stuff. So, Abraham now, who is used to it, when he now went to battle with the kings and recovered Lot, immediately he came back. He now said, I will give 10%. It wasn't God that really? asked Abraham. It was Abraham who offered it. And before he offered it, God already blessed him. And God blessed him. Okay? And called him Abraham, the possessor of the heavens and the earth. Okay? Then Abraham now gave a tithe in response to the blessing. Moses now took Abraham's method and made it a law in Israel. A law. Why did Moses make it a law? Because God said to Israel, I want to be your God, and I want you to be a kingdom of priests and relate with me. They said, no, we don't want to relate with you. Talk to us through Abraham, I mean through Moses. Moses now gave them instructions they were not obeying. So God told Moses, so that they don't die, set up a priesthood for them. So the priesthood that was set, there was a tribe that had to serve that priesthood called the Levites. So Moses decided, since the Levites will be busy serving you people in the temple, okay, and they will not go to work. They will not have food to eat or anything. Everybody in Israel bring 10% and give so that the Levites are sustained. The strangers are sustained. And the fatherless and the widows are sustained from your 10%. Right. So it became a law. And in order for Moses to make them pay that thing, he now put a curse on it. Okay. If you don't, you'll be cursed. It's Moses' operation. Okay. Because Moses will always add a curse because the people were stubborn. So he had to break them with fear. He brought curse. Okay, so if you don't pay, you'll be cursed. If you pay, you'll be blessed. In fact, Moses was so brutal. He now says to them, any of you that don't, don't pay your tithe, this wickedness will come upon you and the people shall say, Amen. Yes. It's, it's in that book. Probably. Yes. So Moses did all of that. But Christ hath redeemed us. From the curse that comes with the law of Moses. So no more curse. He has blessed you with all spiritual blessings in Christ. No more curse. Now do we pay tithe? No. 
it ended with Moses. Why? Because the New Testament is built on the foundation of the apostles and Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Did Jesus pay tithe? No. Did Jesus receive tithe? No. Did the apostles pay tithe? No. Did the apostles receive tithe? No. So we are not supposed to pay tithe and we are not supposed to receive tithe. Right. Because the New Testament is laid on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And the apostles and prophets of the New Testament didn't take tithe and didn't pay tithe. But they gave generously. So New Testament is generosity which is bigger than tithe. Because you love somebody, you give. So New Testament is born out of love, not out of law. Is it clear? But if you get my teaching on tithe and tithing, it's about 15, part 1 to 15. It covers both the historical, the doctrinal, the Old Testament, the New Testament, all the scriptures that talk about tithe, even like Hebrews chapter 7, all that, we demystify them in that teaching exegetically. So get that, it will help you yes, to be able to answer people who need help. Yes, sir. thank you so exactly. Also concerning evangelism, uh, some of some areas that we live in, some people are not well educated, like speaking in the English. Our language. English, yes. So some, sometimes it's very difficult to communicate some truth to them yes. in the local language. Yes. So that's why other local preachers, they, they say repent, change, your, change from your lifestyle. Yes. like those things yes. so it's very hard to it's a challenge so what you do is when you meet people who don't understand English make the message as simple as possible God loves man man sinned against God man disobeyed God God in his love became a man and died for man when he died you died when he was buried you were buried when he rose from the dead, you rose from the dead. He took your place so you can take his place. In his resurrection, his life becomes your life. If you believe that today, your sins are forgiven. Then God comes in to take up residence. Now, once people believe that, whether they know English or not, they are saved. Then you can begin to teach them prayer. You can begin to teach them righteousness. You can begin to teach them what forgiveness is. How that God has forgiven you forever. Gradually, gradually. The scriptures makes people intelligent. As they are listening, their intelligent faculty begins to get out alive. After a while, you find a local very intelligent. I was in Togo not long ago. And I met pastors in Togo, young pastors, who told me, you were there with me, right? They said, we didn't know English. We didn't know English at all. You were there. And they said, as we began to listen to you, we began to learn English. Now we speak English. Because the, the word of God opens up man's intelligence. So as we keep teaching, people will come to a place where they will start understanding. The challenge with languages is a lot of languages don't have enough vocabulary like English. They are still being developed. So we stay with what we are sure. And that's why I'm very slow in translating our books into dialects. Because of the limitation of expression. So instead of creating more problems for the locals, it's better to leave it the way it is. Let's summarize the gospel to them as much as possible. Thank you, sir. Is that clear? Thank you, sir. The important thing is that they are saved. The important thing is that they know how to pray. And the important thing is that gradually they begin to learn about who they are in Christ. Is it clear? Bless you. <clears throat> 
Last question. Then you will go and eat. And we come back by five. You don't want to eat. <laughs> you want to learn more. All right, good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Dr. Damina, I'm so happy to be here this evening. I'm happy to see you too. Today is my second day wow. meeting you face to face. Wow. But the first day, you ask a question. Okay. Amen. So, I have about five questions. Okay. Because the opportunity has come. That's why we're here. Yes. Uh, first time you came around the Lagoon, I came with my other sister. Okay. Uh, she said I should ask you a question. Now, why is it that she has been praying for healing, going to the hospital, and her health is not perfect until now? Okay. Yes. Well, listen, everybody. The fall of Adam kicked in mort- mortality. The body is mortal. This body is not designed to live forever. So because this body is mortal, it depreciates. If you look at the way the ground depreciates, when a lot of planting is happening, the law of diminishing returns. That's how this body, because this body came from the dust. So if you look at the dust, it will give you an idea of how this body behaves. So because this body is mortal, it is supposed to die. So gradually, you lose your functionality as you age. Because that's the way the earth is. And as a child of God, it's not different for you. It's not different. Because it's mortality. That's why you have immortality in your spirit. Which will swallow mortality. That's why the body is called the last redemption. Because the body has not been redeemed. Even though it has been paid for. But it will be redeemed. So because it has not been redeemed. That's why you get sick. I get sick too. Any preacher who tells you doesn't get sick, he's lying to you. Mortality, we all get sick. We all get sick. Because sometimes our diet is not good for our bodies. So our bodies break down. Sometimes the living conditions where we are may not be convenient. So we're exposed to things that affect our health. Sometimes lifestyle affects the way we live. Are we teaching here? So that's why we get sick. I get sick sometimes. I told you I had COVID. It's not COVID by faith. I had real COVID. It was bad. I was gasping to breathe. It's just I made up my mind that I was going to outlive it. And I came out of it. But that's the same thing that killed many people. It's not because I'm better than them. It's because I'm better informed. I know better. And I'm in Christ. Do you understand? So, this physical body has all of that. But there is healing in Jesus. But this healing is not eternal healing. This healing is temporal healing. There's no way a believer will be eternally healed in a mortal body. So even if you are healed today, you can be exposed to sickness tomorrow. Depending on the conditions, your diet an environment. Do you understand? And that you are sick doesn't mean you are a bad person. It's just it means you are a normal person. It means you are a human. Do you understand? How many of you know is brother Paul who say we shall not all die? We shall not all die. Then he died. <laughs> Can you beat that? He said we shall not all die. We shall be changed. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Shortly after that, he died. Because of mortality. Mortality. So why is it that when I pray, sometimes I'm healed, sometimes I'm not healed? Well, sometimes you are not in a state to receive the healing. Because God's healing power is always available. It's one thing for God to make healing available. It's another thing for you to receive it. So that's why teaching is important. Because what teaching does is to put your mind in a state where your mind can receive healing. Do you understand? So sometimes it's lack of that ability to receive it. It's not that God didn't give it. God's healing power is always available. But man must receive. God cannot force it. And there are times you're not in a mental and psychological state to receive. Sometimes you already have fear. Sometimes you already have a mindset. Sometimes you already have an imagination that is fighting you inside you. And you have to overcome that imagination. And you cannot overcome it without teaching. So that's why my son, attend to my word. Incline your ears to my sayings. For they are life to those who find and hell to all their flesh. Do you get the point? So explain to your sister, that's the situation. But however, your sister can build herself in the word of God to a point where she refuses to let sickness have a place in her body. But that will come by a lot of teaching and growth and maturity. Then she can outgrow that sickness and receive healing. And even with that, she might still get sick. Then she keeps receiving healing and receiving healing for as long as she has a purpose to live. The moment her purpose is finished, there's no point living here. You go. Death is not a wicked thing. Death is a vehicle we use to cross from mortality to immortality. Do you understand? It's not an evil thing. We use it. But you don't die by force. You die by choice. You die when you have finished what you're doing here. That's why the Bible says, and he gave up the ghost. They didn't collect it from him. So if he gave, it means he willingly gave up. And he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Do you understand? So that's the way it operates. Is it clear here? And let me tell you something else. There's nothing wrong in taking medication. Medication is not a sin. Medication is part of God's healing wisdom. Hmm? So if you need medicine, take it. But let medicine not be your first option. Your first option is prayer. You pray and believe God. Then while believing God, you eat well. And if what you are eating is not working enough, then you take medication. Medication is part of food. Medical people here. Medication is part of food because medicines come from herbs. So, it's just that you don't have enough of these herbs to eat. So, they package it for you in medication. Medicine doesn't heal. Medicine only helps your body to heal itself. How many of you understand what I'm saying? That's why doctors say, we treat God heals. Because even doctors know that they don't really heal. Healing is from God. But we can help our bodies. So you eat well, you rest well. And you develop a lifestyle that helps you not to get sick. You develop a lifestyle. Do you understand what I mean? Develop a lifestyle. So that's what we do. 
you know. But that's the answer for your sister. Next question. Thank you very much. And my next question is uh, a pastor, a prophet trained people, like a lot of pastors working under him. But in the process, as the church begins to grow, some of them went away. And the prophet was not happy. And he cursed some of them. Uh-huh. So there's one evangelist that was among them. Till today, he's drinking. If you see women, he takes them to himself and a lot of things. So one day I met the prophet. I asked, why? And he told me, if you will forgive him, he has to come and pay for spoiling the name of the church around here. In that condition or situation, how do you handle such things? The, the prophet doesn't know Jesus. So the prophet is operating the law of Moses. And the law of Moses is the law of sin and death. So if you offend, they curse you. It works for you because you believe in the system. I don't believe in that rubbish. So if you curse me, it's not going to work. If all the prophets in Ghana curse me, it will not work. All of them. All of both major and minor. Including the elderly ones and the old ones. If all of them gather and curse me, it's not going to work. Because I know better than all of them put together. So it's not going to work. Do you understand? Curses don't work for me. Because I know better. But not everybody knows what I know. How be it? There is not this knowledge in every man. It's a knowledge problem. Do you understand? And that prophet is operating the law of sin and death. Okay, but let me also tell you, it's not good to do evil to somebody who does you good. Okay? He may not curse you, but there are laws of nature that can deal with you. Natural laws. It's called consequences. So it's not good. Always make sure you treat people right. Always make sure you do good to people. Even if they do you bad, be the one that does good always. It's important. Is it clear? It's important. Yeah, next. Next question. Uh, please, I want to know why are you so bold that you don't fear any man of God in the territory? And it's like, no, it's the truth. When you enter into a territory, you break things. And Others are found wanting. That's the question I wanted to ask for long. (laughs) Because I know what I am saying is the truth. And truth does not fear anybody. Truth is universal. So when I move into a territory, I speak it without apology because what I'm speaking is the truth. If you fight it, give it a short while, you will agree with it. Then secondly, the spirit of God in me is the spirit of boldness. So truth plus the spirit of God gives me that boldness. Thank you. Okay. Uh, there's a book that Dan Vici code, the six and seven books of Moses. Dan Vici code. Yeah. And the six and seven books of Moses and other books that are not included even in the scriptures. But you see other men of God using it. And even drawing teachings because they don't know Christ. So sometimes 48 they, laws of power. They also use that one. Yes. I know all of them. You have finished my question. Mm. It's because they don't know Christ. In Christ, if you want to be the leader, be the servant. In the world, to be a leader, you oppress or you divide and rule. That's the world. And Jesus said, this shall not be among you. 
he that will be the leader must first of all be the servant. That's Christ's system. So we cannot be preaching Christ and using 48 laws. We preach Christ, we use Christ's method. So it depends on what that preacher is preaching for him to be using 48 laws of power. Do you understand? Or for him to be using all those five laws of Moses, books of Moses and all of that. It depends on what he's preaching. But we preach Christ and we follow Christ's lifestyle, both in leadership and everything. My last question. Last question. Hallelujah. Uh, I've been paying tight, but the day I listened to one of your sermons, I've turned around. And a lot of things have changed around me. That's it. Now you have more money. Yes. <laughs> the moment you stop paying tight, you find out that you have more money. I'm not joking. <laughs> I've come across people who say, Dr. Damina, you have helped my life. The moment I stop tightening, now I have money. And now I can support the work of God joyfully. I'm not afraid anymore. That's the truth. Because that law keeps you under fear. It is the law of bondage. You have not received the spirit of fear again to bondage, but the spirit of adoption. So that law brings fear, and fear puts bondage. Satan works with fear. God works with faith. Where there is fear, Satan is master. Where there is faith, God is master. Fear connects you to the object of your fear. That's, what, what, that's why what you fear comes on you. Faith connects you to God. And the devil cannot operate when there is no fear. So anywhere you find fear, Satan is in operation. That's why God has not given to you the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. So when you stop paying tight, what happened was you became free from fear. So Satan could no more attack your resources. Now you are bold. The more money started coming and you started having more things because you are no more in fear. That's what really happened. It's not the titan thing. It's just that you got liberated. And now you can think independent of fear. You are not afraid now. You are bold. So you can do better business. And you can make more money. And you are not scared. But before, you used to be afraid that if you don't pay tight, things will be rough. So you pay the tight with fear. And you are living in fear. And Satan is operating there. Do you understand? That's the difference. So that's why now you have more money. You are happy. You do more for the kingdom. You give more money for the work of God. No. Hallelujah. So you see, uh, I have found a new work I'm doing now. So I moved to a new location. And I joined a church. I'm a pastor. So I work with a pastor, a bishop. He himself does not pay tight. But... He tells others to pay. And most of the pastors, they don't pay tight. So when I joined, with the level of my understanding, I told my wife, let's do this. So we added some money to the tent, and we gave. So the church offering increased. The tithe increased that day. So when the pastor came, he said, hey, today is like, you, you paid your tithe. So the next time, he too, he gave something small. So in that kind of circumstance around us, how do we influence the system? Because right now, per what I teach on Sundays, the pastor now is now, the bishop now is now teaching more Christ-like messages more than before. That's why I'm asking. And so gradually you engage him and tell him, sir, how much of Christ should we teach? <laughs> Ask him, how much of Christ should we teach? If he say all of Christ, tell him, sir, are you ready for all of Christ? 
You engage him. You discuss. Gradually start dropping the things. Bombshell, 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 bombshell. Till everything changes. Do you understand? Uh, give him mic. <laughs> On this issue, I thank God you have come to Ghana. Because he said in July, I'll teach on tight. And me, I don't look at faces. Yes. <laughs> I can see. You don't care at all. No, I don't really because care. Because you have your own money. That's why you should have your own money. Once you have your money, you can talk to anybody anyhow. But when you are waiting for him to feed you, you will talk with respect. So that's why it's good for a man of God to have your own money. If he tells you go, he's the one that will lose. Because that's your money that you are supporting with. He doesn't want to lose it. So even if you are talking to him anyhow, you will swallow it and say, no problem, no problem. Just be bringing the money. But don't preach it in our church. But he can't lose you because he wants the money. Because you have money. So look at, you know, you don't have to fear him. Tell him exactly what you need to tell him. That's, it. that's, that's what he Tell him what you want to tell him. And uh, if he's angry, tell him don't be angry. But that's to show him from scripture. You know, I'm not going to teach tight. Aren't we going to be tagged as rebels? Eh? Tag you as rebels? Why will he tag you as a rebel? How did you rebel? But that's why you engage him in a talk because I know where you're going now. You engage him in that discussion. If you find out that from that discussion, his teaching of Christ is not genuine, that already gives you a cue that it's time for you to leave. You have to leave. Because if you don't leave, they will tag you as rebels and make life difficult for you. But if you discover two of you don't agree and is not ready to shift, then you have to leave. And leave before there will be trouble. Leave, bless him, thank him, Give him good offering. Tell him you want to just obey God. From time to time as God empowers you, you will support his work. You thank God for him. He will bless you. You leave. You leave. You leave. Then once you leave, you have left. Do you know what I mean? You live wisely. So there's no trouble. So that tomorrow if he comes around and he wants to be helped, he will look for you. Because that relationship is still there. Don't wait for it to get to crisis. Once you see there will be crisis, then you have to leave. Because you don't want to create crisis. Then you leave and do what you believe God wants you to do. Is it clear? And that's not a bad thing at all. But you live well. All right. Bless you. Glory, Glory to God. Glory. All questions are answered. Everybody is happy. We are back this evening. What time? What's the time? 2.30? What did you people do to me? My plan was to teach for one hour, answer questions for 15 minutes and get out of here. Eh? Atmosphere, right? As it is sweet, us. As it is sweet, us. No, it is sweet, them. <laughs> I love you guys. What time are we meeting? Five o'clock. Invite everybody for the impartation. It's going to be brutal tonight. And then tomorrow will be brutal, brutal, brutal. You want to bring everybody tomorrow. What time is the service tomorrow? Ten o'clock. So invite people in Ghana. Tell them you don't have to belong to Power City, but come and hear my pastor preach. Come and hear my pastor teach. Come and hear something. 
Uh, come and hear some good teaching. Come and get something today. You don't have to leave your church, but just come. You never can tell. One teaching like this could be the turnaround in people's life. So tomorrow, we want to bring everybody. Uh, the venue will be announced, right? Are we meeting here tomorrow? We're meeting the next hall. There's another hall here. Okay, that's where we're meeting tomorrow. So that we make sure everybody's accommodated. So bring all your family and friends. And today, bring more people tonight. We'll have a blast tonight. I'm excited. Are you excited? Yeah. I really don't want to close, but you have to go and eat. Me too, I want to go and eat some wache or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go to Kasua and eat wache. <laughs> By the time I come back, you have closed the service because Kasua is a distance. <laughs> We will do much more for the kingdom in Ghana. The word of the Lord will hit this nation like never before. In the name of Jesus. Somebody shout, we cover the earth. When we close, I will sit down on a chair and they will give you direction. For those who want me to autograph your books, I will autograph as many books as possible. Then tomorrow I will do more autographing before we part ways. Amen? I said amen. Amen. Alright, like I told you yesterday, make sure you support this program. If you have extra cash, give us. We need it for the things we are doing both in Ghana and the things we are doing in other parts of the world. If you have extra cash, you know, give us. You know, support the conference. Give to the conference. Give generously. Give joyfully. Give willingly. Your money is doing the work of the kingdom. And there's a reward for your giving from Jesus. Can I have a good amen? Father, we give in faith, we give with joy. Thank you for the privilege of giving this afternoon. Our offerings are a sweet smell before you. And we rejoice for the opportunity to give our resources for the advancement of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, who closes the service? The baskets are going around, offering baskets are going around, so we're dropping our offerings. Where are the, okay, offering baskets are going around, so you're dropping your offerings before you go. Five o'clock, we're back. We're back at five. Pastor Jerry, the mic is yours. And I'll be sitting down by the corner here. You'll be directed on how to get the books autographed.